on today's show. We are getting to know Bray. But first, a word from today's sponsors. Andre Psyche is the freelance creator extraordinaire, someone who makes music, poetry, art, clothing, and lives to make others feel good. Search him up on any social media. It's Andre Psyche. That's P-S-Y-C-H-E. The next time you are looking to add some creative stimulation to your social media circle. Patreon.com helps creators like me earn a monthly income that will be put towards podcast expenses. Support the Getting to Know You Pod's creative endeavors through Patreon for as little as $2 a month. There are all sorts of costs that I had no fucking idea about associated with posting podcasts, not to mention the need for equipment and production. So dear listeners, if you've enjoyed getting to know any of our guests or just want to help keep the pod going, go to our Patreon. The link's in the description and your support of the Getting to Know You pod is very much appreciated. Two bucks too much? Here are three free ways to help. Get your thumbs ready. One, push the subscribe button on whatever app you're listening to the Getting to Know You pod on. Did that? Thank you. Two, friend and follow the Getting to Know You pod on your social media like Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Go ahead, open those apps, click away if you haven't already. Thanks again. Three, go to Apple, write a review. The internet tells me this might be the most important and impactful. So thank you. Your support, dear listener, whether it's with your thumbs through our Patreon or ideally both, is greatly appreciated. And now, getting to know you. Hello. Getting to know you. Getting to know all about you. I'm going to do a terrific show today. Getting to like you. Getting to hope you like me. Because I'm good enough. Getting to know you. Putting it my way, but nicely. I'm smart enough. You are precisely and doggone it. And Braze, I, I don't know if I want to introduce you as the person whose name is phonetically easy to say or is doing <laughs> what all cool people do on a Saturday night, which is hop on a podcast with a stranger. Correct. But <laughs> both correct. <laughs> Thank you um, so much for coming on, Bray, and working with my terrible time telling and uh, letting people get to know you. I appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Uh, I do. I don't remember the reel that caught like how you came up because I wasn't following you, but you like had whatever some shit trending and like you're kind of fucking like not kind of you're hilarious, man. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, I think I'm funny, but everybody thinks they're funny, so I'm not really into it. <laughs> I, dude, I like I look forward to you popping up in my IG to be like what's she going to get into today? Like, what's she going to kind of like mock, but like be a really oh, strong, like, you know, like my parents, my whole no, life. Like, no. Oh shit. What's she going to do today? <laughs> <laughs> That's, but I guess I don't have to deal with the repercussions. So I'm more excited to see what happens. Like you stirring shit up, but you're like a really cool truth teller. And then I'm like, whatever, I start following you for however long. And I'm like, She's like fucking legit. Like maybe people should listen to her because she seems very competent and hardworking and like 
knowledgeable, and I was pretty geeked to talk to you because I know nothing about gymnastics. I live in northern, I live in the northern part of the country. Apparently, you live in the southern part of the country, and I'm like, I love that shit. I love when I just meet people from different cultures. Yeah, well, I appreciate all that. That's really nice, and I try to be as genuine as possible. I pride myself on being very genuine, so I'm glad that it's portrayed in my social media. I'm very cognizant of that. Of I know people might portray social media as is acting, or that's not how she really is, but that it really just is how I I am. I'm just very. I'm a smartass. I'm quick witted. Um, I'm very. Um, proud and very, I stand strong when I believe in something, but I'm not against being told that I'm wrong and I need to move over a little bit because I just always want to be the best that I can be. So I really appreciate that. I, I, I really want to know the first time you were, you actually acknowledged that you were wrong about something. But before that, um, <laughs> that uh, you just reminded me, it was the whole five, nine can't be a gymnast thing. You did some oh. sort of reel about like how tall people can't be gymnasts or something. And it was basically like a fuck you, but I'm awesome kind of reel. Yes. I think yeah. that that was it, dude. That's how I came across you. Okay. Yeah. I, I make a bunch of those because um, there's always a bunch of ways I can uh, twist that narrative of me being tall into something that's going to like get a lot of views. It tends to get a lot of views. I think that's my most viewed on Facebook reels is the one with the Peaky Blinders, um, three, two, one, bang sound, which is one of my favorite shows as well. So yeah. that one was just like a big yes for me when I heard the sound trending on TikTok. And I share all my TikToks to Instagram and Facebook just for marketing purposes for myself. And that video alone, I think, got almost 7 million views on Facebook. So no people were interested in it. And it seems to always be one that's popular. I've made a few about being tall and they always get a hundred thousand or more um, views. So yeah, being tall, I didn't really get tall for a gymnast until about my junior year of high school when I was only five, six. And then little did I know I was going to grow an extra three inches, um, especially throughout college after getting injured. So it was just always the biggest thing people would say when they found out I was a gymnast and they'd be like, Oh, aren't you too tall to be a gymnast? I'm like, evidently fucking not Frank. Cause I'm standing right here in the leotard. So no, I'm not, but thank you for questioning it anyway, but it's always basketball or yeah. volleyball, but the biggest compliment is always track, especially when I was at Arkansas, because they're our best athletes on campus. I'm like, yes, I am on the track team. Thank you. <laughs> you were on track too with Arkansas? No, I, oh, I, I, you I just, just, I <laughs> just took it. They, they thought I was on track. And so I'm like, yes, no, I'm a gymnast. But like, it was the biggest compliment to be asked if I was on the track team at Arkansas, because national champions, triple crown winners, the best on campus. So I was like, thanks. Um, So as a, just a real stupid side note for me, my daughter, seventh grader, um, I was at a cross country meet that was two and a half hours away today because in Southern Delaware, we don't have like hills. And she had to go like run, like straight up a fucking mountain basically today for her cross country meet. And um, I just, I appreciate runners, especially with sprinters and distance when it just comes down to will. Oh, it, 100%. But that's what fucked up my time today. And I was asking you to be so late because I wasn't sure after like six hours in a car, like, was she going to want some Dunkin' Donuts on the halfway right. coming back trip? <laughs> um, so that's why I was like, oh, cool. I'm here a half hour early. And you were like, uh, you're going to be 15 minutes late. I was like, <laughs> um, 
Help me understand the tall gymnast thing because I feel without knowing anything, I feel like the fact that you're longer would make it look more beautiful because yeah, it would add to the difficulty and it would just give you more to view versus it being so quick and compact. It would, it, it would just, it would be like a tall ice skater where you actually have time enough to appreciate the intricacies. Cause I feel like length yeah. helps you to notice details. Yeah. I mean, well, and, and that, I, that's not necessarily true as a judge. Cause I'm also a judge, their body, the height of our bodies doesn't really determine anything as a judge, but, um, being tall, if we were, if that was the case where being tall helps judges be able to see the details better, that would actually be more harmful to me because that means uh. they would be able to find more deductions than the shorter ones. But that's not really like a thing you, we as judges, we know what we're looking for. So it doesn't matter if you're short or tall, we know what we're looking for and we're going to see it if you give it to us. So that's not necessarily true, but the lines part of it just looking really pretty and very long, that is um, true within like bars or beam or the dance on floor. Um, being tall and short has its pros and cons for both. And that's what I try to explain to people because the short gymnasts might be, you know, they might luck out with having a little bit more length in the floor. They can take more steps into their run because they're this big and I'm this big. So I have to take less steps. So usually the taller gymnasts weren't as powerful. Um, same thing on ball, not as powerful. Um, and then with the shorter gymnasts though, they lose that opportunity of the judges being like, oh my God, she's like in the rafters when she does, you know, a skill because she's so long. And so it's really, there's a pros and cons to both. And that was just the thing with being a tall gymnast is usually gymnasts are pretty short um, because it stunts your growth. We're always on impact. We're probably usually starving half the time so our bodies can't grow. So there's, you know, numerous reasons why gymnasts are typically short. Um, so that's why I always bring up like the tall thing and people don't always assume I'm a gymnast because I am very tall for a gymnast, but I'm not too tall to be a gymnast. Those are different. Um, so that's kind of the whole deal with judging and being a gymnast is every, everything's going to have pros and cons. Um, it's just up to the gymnast and the athlete alone to determine which one gets fed. So for me, I knew what I could do well as a tall gymnast. And I also knew I was still very powerful for a tall gymnast. Um, and just a gymnast in general for how thin I used to be as well. So um, if you know what you're good at and what you're bad at, then feed what you're good at and try to fix what you're bad at as well. And both are probably going to work out because nobody expected me being so tiny and skinny when I was younger in the sport. And then even as I grew to be as powerful as I was, and I was, but that's just because I worked it. I weight trained. I, you know, did what I could. And then I just let my God get in line to do the rest on the other events. So that's kind of the whole thing with being a tall gymnast. My God given lines. That's an awesome <laughs> line. I mean, it's true. Yeah. I come from a grandpa who's, or a great grandpa who's six, four, something crazy. Uh, okay. Let's, I guess, go all the way back to why you got into gymnastics then oh lord um so my mom was a massage therapist at the facility at the gymnastics facility she worked at and she had me young she was 19 when she had me so i was with her all the time yeah and i was just in the gym all the time and geza who's a really well-known choreographer in gymnastics really old school like he started with the carolis when they kind of started everything if i'm right on there but he was there chore choreographing some routines. And I was like three or four when I was following him, like copying him in the dance. And 
he turned around to my mom. She's like, she needs to be a gymnast. My mom's like, hell no, 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 no. And then, you know, I was a gymnast and the rest is history. But I started in mommy and me classes at 13 months old because I was walking by nine months old. So I could be in those mommy and me classes. And then I was on team by the time I was three. So just product of your environment, product of your environment. I just loved gymnastics. Um, and then just, I was, I was meant to be a gymnast for a reason. Gymnastics was part of my journey for a reason. And this might be it, my advocacy work. Yeah. And I, I want to get converted tonight because <laughs> I closet hate dance, cheer and gymnastics. And I just want to say why my daughter took gymnastics and I love that she took it. Like I wanted her to be flexible. I wanted her to be coordinated. The fucking body strength. Like you post an IG video, you're doing like handstands as part of your workout. And I'm like, yeah, I can't even do a fucking candlestick or whatever. <laughs> but what, where I wanted to stop was when it got to the competitions because I didn't want my daughter to feel that her worth was being judged. I wanted it to be more like you're faster, you're stronger, you have whatever better like stick skill, ball skill. And like, if not work on it versus, and I might be completely wrong about no, you're, this. You're right on the money. Everything in gymnastics for the most part, it's hard to say everything subjective and, and, and what, because at the end of the day, you as a gymnast, we really are responsible for our success. Like. I determine if I make a bar routine or a floor routine or beam or ball or how good it looks. And that will determine what the judges can deduct. But there's still then the subjectiveness of, well, like when I was in college, well, you did this ball and this girl did this ball, but she has this leotard on and you have an Arkansas leotard on. So we're going to give you a nine, eight. We're going to give her a nine, nine. But it gets political. That's the problem. And that's part of the reason I became a judge. Um, so you're right on the money that a lot of our success is truly based off of someone's quick interpretation of what they see, um, anything, other type of situation that could be going on, um, politically with the judges. And I, I only hear of this type of really unfair subjectiveness going on at the NCAA level, um, and not around really the lower level, um, area and i know this because i judge in that area right now and i speak to a lot of those judges and we're not biased at all we just judge what we see and we judge the way that we judge but i speak to all of, i've spoken to all of them about you know have you wanted to be an ncaa judge because i'm you know asking these people that are way more educated in this and have way more experience than i do in this and i'm asking them about their ncaa experience and they all for the most part tell me they absolutely hate judging in the ncaa because of how political it is and that's when we run into these issues but What's unfortunate too is the majority of the audience for gymnastics, they're only watching the NCAA level. They don't see level 10s who go to nationals, which are these level 10s that are making up those college teams that they're going to watch. So audience is looking at this with only 20% of the glasses that can see through this real world. So um, that's subjectiveness on the NCAA level. It's, it definitely exists. Um, and you're right that it really is based off of judgment. I mean, we are literally called judges. That is yeah. what they refer to us as. <laughs> right. So, um, I, you know, and that's what I try to explain to people is what's, that's what's so hard about gymnastics is not only is it one of the most physically, mentally, and emotionally demanding sports, but you will never as a football player clearly and blatantly cross that line to get a touchdown and your refs say, we're only going to give you five points instead of six. Yeah. That will never happen. That happens for us. Right. We can do 
exactly what you're asking us to do, but because in your interpretation, you're going to deduct us this amount instead of this, but you're not holding the same team to that standard. That's where gymnastics gets very frustrating for me, and I really hate it. And I wish there wasn't these subjective lines, but I understand why there are subjective lines. So it's just it's very difficult, um, and it takes a really it takes a special person to be a gymnast. You really have to have tough skin. You really have to be a very confident person. And you will always, as a gymnast, have your confidence withered away at some point, and you have to learn how to build it back up. Hopefully you have great coaches and great parents that aid to that, but it's just natural with the sport, with everything that we do is literally being told how perfect we're not and just being judged off of that. So you're not wrong in the sense of that, and that's something that frustrates me too. And it's, it's really hard as a coach um, seeing it with your kids. Uh, that you know are like you know they're improving you know that they're better and you know that they were better from the last meet but this meet they scored so much worse and you're just like like it's just it's the judging girls you know it's it's and I and I just try to explain that to them so you're right on the money with that I mean for sure but it's I would say it's half and half of we control our success to a point you know we have to still make the yeah but literally after we make the routine it's just like hope the judge likes what they saw. Yeah, and like that, I don't know why it bothered me. And I'm thinking back, like I'm trying to put myself back in my head eight, nine years ago when my daughter's like three. And I, again, I I love it all, but I, I thought it was so unfair that your somersault was four degrees more to the left than this other girl. So maybe she's better. And it's like, was my somersault that bad? And like, how do I make it perfect? And I didn't want her to like compete practice to please someone else. I wanted her to have a fair shot of like, yo, mano a mano. But then I start looking at like basketball, football, and I'm like, baseball strike zones are subjective. Basketball yeah. fouls are subjective. You know, like, yeah, right? Really? And I'm like, That's so- I was, I was talking to my husband about that. I was like, I mean, if you think about it, every sport, is subjective like it, it really is like a ref makes one bad call and that could be the touchdown that needed to win the whole game yeah or you know a ref that he did it there was a ref in the mlb whatever years ago that called the guy safe on a pitcher that it was his last oh throw. for the no hitter or the yeah, perfect game i'm sorry and the, ref, game. Yeah. and the ref realized he fucked that up you know that you're changed you changed that whole guy's life you Dude. know like everything really is subjective but there's definitely levels of subjectiveness yeah i just feel it matters more towards your victory because you get that one shot that one score where i always feel oh i guess i felt like in other sports that are ball centric for lack of a better word no. like you mostly get another chance multiple. to make it up for it like there's multiple multiple reps multiple multiple opportunities yep. and it seemed like sorry man that was your that was your event that's what sucks about gymnastics, and that's what's that's what makes gymnastics one of the most physically and mentally difficult sports in the world because we can do everything right and perfect all week, but when we go to salute and we mess it up, it doesn't fucking matter. It literally does not matter what you've been doing. And yeah. all gymnastics is is who's better at that day in that moment. It's really what it's about. Some of it's luck, some of you know, majority of it's preparation. Um, and situational, so it's it's definitely really difficult. But um, that's it, that it really is just about who's better that day. 
So what was a, what made you stick with it? So, and, and I don't know, I'm sure at some point we can like get into your resume because I know nothing about gymnastics, but I'm just like, I'm pretty sure you won a bunch of shit in college with Arkansas. And I'm just like, the fact that you're at Arkansas means you're really good <laughs> and like yeah. you're legit, right? But like what made you stick with it to get to that point? Because I can't imagine the hours of work that um, went into getting it wasn't there. Even the hours that were the hours were hard, but it was a lot of the trials that I went through just so young. Um I stuck with it because I just I love gymnastics. Like I had a passion and I was in love with gymnastics and that's I you know have talked about that on my TikTok. You're you can love something, but being in love with something is different. I was in love with gymnastics and I knew I was going to be successful. I just, I just knew it. I didn't know what it was going to look like, but my goal was always the Olympics. And that's the route I went. I qualified as an elite, um, which there at the time when I was an elite, there's only about 50 in the whole country. So it's a difficult level to um, qualify. And I was blessed enough to do that. And I was that for two years. And I went to the Olympic training center every six weeks, coached by Marta and the Olympic staff, um, all of those fucking people <laughs> and um <laughs> did that for fucking like, we called it hell like we literally called the olympic training center hell because it was and there's a reason it's shut down now but um i quit elite just because i was i was always very mature at a young age and that's just because i kind of for, gymnastics forced me to be so young and i was able at 14 years old i just kind of took a step back and analyzed the situation that i was in uh, my elite coach at the time he was not he was not nurturing me and raising me like he should have of a girl that was 12 and 13. He really just saw the gymnast in me and didn't really appreciate that I was still a child. So that blurred some lines and him thinking that this was a job for me. And I was like, no motherfucker, this is not my job. This is something that I love to do and you're making me hate it. And he wasn't the only one. It was multiple of the other female coaches that were there. And of course the elite world is fucking difficult. So I was like, you know, if this is the road I have to take to become an Olympian, this ain't fucking worth it for me because what's after the Olympics for me, I'm going to college. Like I know I'm going to get a full ride somewhere and that's what I want to do. And I was like, okay, let's say I make the Olympic team. Then what? I'm not going pro. I'm not going to make any money. And then I'm going to go to college okay, I'm probably not even going to make it through all my years of college because I'm going to be so broken. So at 14, I was like, fuck this. And I, I stepped back from elite and went straight into level 10 to just focus on getting a college scholarship. And that's what I ended up doing. I committed to Arkansas my sophomore year of high school on a full ride. Um, and funny enough, my senior year of high school, I went back to that elite coach because um, he had totally changed after a lot of years. And I have a great relationship with him now. And he's one of my you know, coaches that I consider to be one of the good coaches now. Um, but me and him butted heads a lot. And he's a lot of the reason I kind of started to figure out how to, you know, stand up for myself and have a voice and explain what I was feeling and going through, um, even if, you know, he didn't understand or listen half the time. But um, that was my journey with Ali. But I went back to him my senior year and had a great senior year with him and really rekindled our relationship um, and that got much better. And then I went to college and that's how I got there. But I mean, training 40 hours a week was very normal, um, especially as an elite. And so I just, you know, it was just something you did. We thought that that was necessary and it's totally unnecessary um, and very unhealthy to do all of that. Um, and so 
you know, that was just very normal. The hours weren't even really what was hard. What was hard was trans transferring from the coach that I had when I was seven, eight, nine, ten, moving to on to different coaches because that coach that I had when I was seven, eight, nine, ten ended up getting arrested on twenty six counts, and I had to testify against him. That was the most pivotal moment in my career because I was, you know, at eight, nine, and ten years old, having to tell this man, you know, I had to draw a lot of lines with him to not be a hurt more than I already was being by him. So that that is, you know, that was I would say was the biggest roadblock in my career, and that was only at eight, nine, and ten. And for me, I was I was very educated on what grooming was because my parents are awesome, and so I knew what it was. Um, when I saw it. And so I was able to be, you know, I was able to get out of a lot of situations um, that he put us in. And so I just kind of fought through that and just kind of took it for what it was, especially because I was so young and, and not, wasn't necessarily naive. I just was definitely naive at how bad the situation was and how it was going to affect me for the rest of my life, especially becoming a mother. So I just took it because you know, I just thought it was, you know, it is what it is. By this time, this was my second coach that got arrested. So I just thought it was normal. And um, can, can I when, pause you? Because, man, I it's my ignorance. I should have, like, gone on Wikipedia or something. Um, aside from elite versus level 10, I think you said uh -huh. grooming and you were made aware of grooming. Yeah. Can you help me understand that? Yeah, so grooming is the term that's used when sexual predators will normally try to basically warm up their victims. So um, you can find buttloads of lists of what grooming is. Usually the biggest forms of grooming are, you know, they'll buy presents for the kid or they try to get that kid to trust them. Um, and they'll, tr they'll try to turn the kids on each other and they'll try to turn the kids on their parents. And they try to win over the trust of the whole family. Um, but specifically their target. Um, there's a lot of grooming tactics, like a big thing that he always did with us. He was just really verbally inappropriate with us because he was trying to get us comfortable with sexual things. Um, and he would always talk about marrying me and how one day my dad's going to kill him because he's going to ask to marry me. He would say things like, I'm going to have a special place in hell with him. Uh, like all of these things. So he did numerous <laughs> grooming tactics. Um, Special place was, in hell? And you're like eight, nine, ten. I was like nine. Yeah, I was like nine when he said that. I, I remember exactly where I was too. I, I, I remember that whole situation. Um, so it's it's funny how it sticks with you. But yeah, he he would do a lot of like those type of grooming tactics. And another big one where um, he would do is he would massage the girls a lot. And that's like a big... <laughs> for especially yeah with like my kids like I'm a I'm a woman so the girls are not uncomfortable with me much at all but I I purposely not not really want to make them uncomfortable but I want them to understand that you know this is your no-no square nobody touches you there that whole thing right. and that was where he he tried to see how far he could get the first time with me was he was spotting me and he like grabbed my butt and I smacked the shit out of him. I was like, do not grab my butt. He's like, well, I have to spot you. And he went and like tattletailed on me to my mom. He's like, she hit me. My mom goes, well, what'd you do to make her hit you? He's like, well, I accidentally grabbed her butt. She said, then don't grab her butt. Find a different way to spot her. Your, her butt's the only part on her whole body you have to spot. And so now that I'm being a coach, there's times I'm spotting my girls and I will grab them in places to save their life. And it is full on grabbing something down there. 
And after I'm done, I'm like, hey, I'm sorry. I did not mean to touch you there. I just want to let you know. I'm just as uncomfortable for me as it is you. And they'll laugh it off. They're like, yeah, we know, Bray. I'm like, I'm just letting you know that it's not normal. It's not okay if anybody just tries to flippantly be like, whatever, I touched your crotch. It's not that big of a deal. No, it is a big deal because that's a very sensitive area for anybody. Um, so those were things that he would do. Is he would he would see how far he could get. And a lot of the ways he would do that is massaging and yeah. Like the massages were like you being like, Hey, my hamstrings tight. And he's like, Oh, let me help you. Or is he stupid... me? So I don't want to speak much of what he would do with the other girls. Cause that's just not my place, especially. Gotcha. Legally. Um, but he would, if something was sore on them, he would, he would try to handle it. Gotcha. I never, I, I, I guess massage me. thinking, <laughs> dude, you said, uh, we're fucking 25 minutes into this conversation. I'm scared you're going to punch me through a fucking Google meet. Um, but I'll like, <laughs> I hope not. I really hope not. Um, but I guess with the grooming that's new to me, I, I was trying to think of like a common, would there be a common transitional as in like, oh, as you're running, this would be the, the sicko saying some shit like this, like, Hey, it looks like your hamstrings a little tight. Maybe after practice, I should massage you. Or are they like listening for girls to be conversating with each other about like my hamstrings I think it be tight? Anyway, I, a predator's gonna find they're gonna they're like rats. They're gonna find an end wherever an end is. It doesn't matter if it's fucking out. through the gutter, if it's through the front door, the window. They're gonna find an end. So, I think for us, we always talked about just how sore we were, and or I really don't even know how he would even be able to like do the it. transition is weird to me. Right. And again, I'm, I'm, it, is, I, it, it, it is. And that's, what's scary about predators and groomings. They're usually very intelligent and they know how to do this in a way that you're like, Oh yeah, it's no big deal. And then you fucking realize you're in the lines and you're like, Hold the fuck up. How do so, we here? And part of why I bring it up. Um, we had a doctor here in our town. Um, and it's a small beach town, Southern Delaware, um, Earl Bradley. And he was almost my daughter's pediatrician when she was born, he happened to, I think he, our, my kid was scheduled to go with him. The labor happened late at night and we got the on-call doctor and we just fell in love with her. But all that to get to the point, I think he got convicted of like assaulting 80 kids oh. and he had like all this Disney shit and he had this basement and basically he would, he coaxed parents into letting him take the kid one-on-one -on -one and the parents would stay. And that's, so that, that's part of my interest is, and I don't even know if interest seems fucking well, skeevy I mean, for me to say, but best, it's like. The best advice and I could give you to research is just go research Larry Nasser if you don't know much about yeah. any of that, because they all do the same shit. Larry Nasser would take, you know, some of his victims into, or survivors, whatever they want to be called, but they would be taking the survivors into the basement and, um, that's where he did a lot of abuse. He did a lot of, you know, like getting the parents to trust him and like, we're all here for the girls. And like, you can trust me. I'm a doctor. And, like yeah. that was like the biggest thing. My parents always talk to me. They're like, anybody's title does not, it don't, it doesn't matter to us. Yeah. Your priest, preacher, your grandpa, your dad, your brother, your doctor, your, the policeman. We don't give a shit what their title is. We don't trust anybody. We just don't. Because it's better safe than sorry, especially with children, because sure. that will never be able to be taken away. And it really will affect them for the rest of their life. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. That's, it's amazing 
that it, it from an outsider's point of view, and fuck man, it, it almost seems insensitive, but it's like, that's like, you're, it, it's almost expected. It seems like it's expected if you're a gymnast to have some sort of sexual assault from someone who's kind of trusted to happen it at some so point normal. in your life. It really was so yeah, it's normal. normalized, right? And like, I'm like, how the fuck does that happen? And my high, my, you know, my whole like hypothesis with it happening in gymnastics so much is because the sport is very vulnerable. Um, where little kids, um, and little kids are stupid, like we are, you know, we're, they're just dumb. And they're trusting, they they're naive. They're very ignorant. Yeah. yeah. They're, so, you know, you have, you're working with kids in a sport where a lot of hours is required in the gym and they're in leotards. They're half naked half the time. Yeah. And you have to yeah. spot them. Even in Safe Sport, which is the whole organization we have that helps us, you know, with all of these, you know, abuse cases and gives us the rules and whatnot. Even in safe sport, it says if an inappropriate touch was happening during a spotting, that is dismissive. Like we let that one go because like me, plenty of the girls could say that I touched them inappropriately and they're right. I did. And I would blatantly be like, I did touch them inappropriately, but it was not on purpose. And I made a point after it happened to be like, Hey, I'm sorry. That was not on purpose. Just letting you know, and don't let anybody touch you there. So I understand why that rule exists, especially in gymnastics, but that exact reason is why this sport has been able to breed so many predators because they can get away with it. Like, oh, I was just trying to spot you. Okay, that's fine one time, motherfucker. But if you do it again, now I know it's going to be on purpose and we're going to have to have a, a different conversation. So uh, that whole ordeal, I mean, that's the thing with, with the safe sport or whatever. But that's, I think, why so many predators exist in this sport is it really is easy to get away with it. Larry got away with it for 20 years. Is it? part and I'm I feel like as a white male I don't even get to like associate with the term as gatekeeper but I've spoken to a bunch of people and it's one of those things where I wonder in gymnastics if so many parents are so worried about opportunity that these fucking creeps become gatekeepers and almost like con men and convince people that like oh, their power can, will, is there, there are definitely coaches that will use the olympics as a key to the lock yeah um, and you know i don't i don't i fault parents but i don't you only know what you know yeah and there's just so many parents that just don't even realize how evil the world is and they don't know what grooming is. They don't know what a predator situation looks like. So um, I don't I don't believe that any of these parents put their kids in these situations knowing what was happening. No, definitely so not. We're going to go to the Olympics. Um, and I definitely don't think, in terms of just sexual abuse, I don't think the coaches use that with the parents. I think the coaches use that with the girls for sure. You know, yeah. like, Hey, if you tell your, your mom, she's not gonna let you come back to the gym and like, you know, oh things like God. that, like that's, that would happen. And that's uh, the separation thing that you were talking about the divide of now we're establishing yeah. a relationship and keeping trust. Mm -hmm. And so I was looking at it from my perspective of like, how would I even know as someone who's say my daughter, shows uh, i let her we do gymnastics and she has promise and someone comes like dude she's got a chance to be level 10 and i'm like what the fuck's level 10 and i'm trying to google real quick and i'm like is that worth whatever amount of money and whatever amount of time and now i have no idea how to even be critical of somebody touching or spotting my daughter and how often and how frequent you know like 
I'm not part of that world. And I guess that's what I'm trying to come at is like, but I want my daughter to be successful. Oh my God, she's talented. Please help her to be successful. Oh, you're the one who knows the way. And like, Mm -hmm. it seems like they would have such an upper hand on people who are ignorant to the sport and haven't gone through it. And I guess no, that that's sure. like the vulnerability where I'm like, that is so fucked up that you yeah, take advantage of yeah, that. No, I mean, but that, and that's, that can be anywhere, you know, people are going to be evil if they're evil and it doesn't matter if it's sport, if it's, um, a fucking business, like yeah. it's whatever, but no, that you, that definitely exists that the predators could see that as an opportunity to, you know, get away with it or to tangle in that, um, vulnerability. But, um, with parents, it's, you know, that's why it's so important to have a good coach. Like really it's having a good coach. It's not just about, they can teach your kid the technique. Like you need a coach that is, you know, understanding from the parent side is understanding from the kid's side is understanding from the coach's side. Um, and just anything in life is just earned and trust is very earned. And that's, what's really hard about the parent being a parent, because, you know, I'm a parent and I know one day, my kid's going to be in a sport and I'm going to have to let my emotions be and, and know what I know and know that there's a possibility that something could go really wrong. Um, but all I can control is number one, addressing that quickly with my child's coach and just saying, Hey, I just want to let you know, I'm great. Um, I raised my child <laughs> this way. I'm just letting you know, I give him full permission. If you make him uncomfortable, in any form of way, especially sexually, he has my permission to let you know, hey, this makes me uncomfortable. If you do not respect that in terms of sexuality, we're probably going to have a problem. Uh, But I understand that you as a coach are going to have to put him in uncomfortable situations, meaning he's probably going to cry when you condition him, and that's going to make him uncomfortable. He's probably going to have to be pushed as an athlete. That's going to make him uncomfortable. That's not the uncomfortability I have an issue with. If you make my child feel gross and icky in any type of way because sexual things are to happen, I'm going to step in and I'm right out those fucking doors. So I know I'm going to have to swallow that eventually for my kid, because we cannot protect our kids from the world. We can just prepare them for the world. And that's all that I can do. So that's why it's so important that parents get to know your coaches and coaches need to be very open with the parents. I mean, me and my parents are very close. We have a lot of communication. They know where I stand, especially in inappropriate stuff. Like I am literally one of, one of, if not the only coach I've ever seen at any meets that lets my kids wear shorts over their leotard. They just passed that rule that you can now wear shorts over your leotard, which is great for females for, you know, anatomical reasons. And especially great because we are in a high cut leotard and some girls might just not be comfortable with that being so open. So they should be allowed to wear shorts. And then I'm, I let them do it. I'm like, girls, if you want to wear shorts, you may do that. It's non-deduction. I don't have a problem with it. It doesn't take away from your gymnastics. It's your choice. If they don't want to wear it, they don't have to, and they don't. And then the ones that want to wear it do, but there are coaches that are like, no, you're not wearing shorts. I want it this way. And my, and my parents know where I stand on that. And I'm just like, I don't understand why the coaches, uh, I mean, I, under, I get why I just don't agree with it. Yeah. And you know, my parents, I've, believe I've earned their trust a lot. And that's why it's so important to have a good relationship with your child's coach, because you are not only trusting them to coach your kid and keep them safe physically, especially in the sport of gymnastics, but you really 
put coaches in a position where you're like, hey, I need you to help raise my child. They're going to be with you half the time, you know? So you really want to make sure that your coach is good. Yeah, aligns almost with your own parenting philosophy or can add something. Yeah, because yeah. I'm a big disagreer with that. And that's something that I've said to my parents a lot is I, you know, you parent how you parent, I coach how I coach. And if you trust me, you will trust how I coach. But don't ever expect me to coach how you parent or we're never going to get anywhere. Yeah. Because we have to compliment each other. Like, you might not punish Sally Sue for cheating, but I will. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, like, this is my house. The gym's my house. And I run it as I see fit. As a coach, as a parent, as a judge, as a former high-level gymnast, this is how and why I run it. And I don't ever tell parents, you don't question me. That's a huge line that coaches, at least in the past, have loved to say is, I'm the coach, you don't question me. Um, actually, motherfucker, I've helped pay your bills as a parent because I'm giving you tuition, so I will question you. So, you know, my parents question me all the time, and I will always give them an explanation as to why I do things because if you don't have anything to hide, you won't, you know, try to hide it. So, um, you know, my parents they all know that with the questioning stuff, but yeah, it's, it can get chaotic. Yeah. That's, that's an interesting point too, because that's a total power move. The whole, mm-hmm. cause I, cause I said so type line. Complex. Yeah. The right. Yeah. Do you remember, are you, are you old enough to have seen like the Alec Baldwin where I think it was malice where he was like a surgeon and the line no. is I am God. Cause he gets right. sued. Oh, I, I know the line, but yeah. I didn't know where it was from. Yeah, he's whatever surgeon and he makes some sort of decision. It's like, I can never be wrong when I'm in surgery if I want to do a blank procedure. And it's like, it's like Jack Nicholson on, you know, a few good men, you know? And it's like one of those things where- one of my favorite movies. Okay, good for you. All right, so you do have some good taste. All right, good. <laughs> I'm glad the classics are staying. Oh, dude, I can't believe you went through two experience. And I don't want to harp on like the super negative, but it's no. That's I, I guess, what I built a platform on. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's the negative, the negative that nobody really wants to talk about. So. Yeah. So I can't believe you stuck with it, or even your family wanted to stick with it after two experiences. Like I'd be, I don't know if I would even allow my child. I think I'd be like, dude, I'm done fucking paying for it. Nope. Right. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I've never really asked my parents, like, how did you, like, keep doing it? I think me and my parents are just, you know, we're one of the same mind. And they were just like, well, not every coach is going to be like this. Like, you just have to find a good coach. And my parents knew what I was capable of. And they're like, we're not going to change her whole potential future and let these people win. Because, like, my coach, you know, forcing me out of this world and wanting me to hate the world of gymnastics, like, he wins. Like, I'm not, I don't want to do that. Um, and not to say that anybody that did quit the sport because of being abused, you know, they lost, but, um, when you, you let that part of you go because of someone else's terrible choices, you know, deep down in you, you're like, damn, I wish I would have just maybe stuck it out. Or maybe I would have found a different outlet and a different coach or things like that. So I want to, I want to be sensitive when I say that it's not that I, I don't think that they won, um, but for me and how I viewed it was personally, I, I will not let this man hate, make me hate the sport. I yeah. love this sport and it's not my fault that he is, you know, a piece of shit. Like that's not on me to, to handle. 
so I, you know, I think that's just how me and my parents viewed it. And that's why we stuck with it. Are they from the Northeast? Cause that seems like the total, like, fuck you mentality. Like I'll do well, something. from Mesquite, Texas. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe <laughs> Which it's is, like not a very good area. It's, it's, it's rough. Uh, so maybe that's fine. But yeah, and my it, dad's dad, my dad's dad was a cop in Waco, which Waco is like not the best area in Texas either. So okay. no, my, me, yeah, me and my parents were just, we just, I don't know. We, yeah. I guess we're rough. <laughs> yeah. But it's been rough. We're just, we just are who we are and we stand very firm and we're again a very like if if someone tells us we're wrong and we can have a different shift in viewpoints we will um because we're always wanting to be better so yeah. and that's just not common you know that's not a, a thing nowadays people aren't genuine people aren't receptive to constructive criticism and things like that and it's not easy to take but if you care you'll you'll change it so i mean you know just even in things in this podcast i'm sure things that i say will try to piss people off but at the end of the day none of my intentions are malicious and it's just from an educational standpoint and especially when it comes to talking about victims or survivors I want to be very gentle and respectful of that because you know I I never want to be considered a victim or a survivor but I think I'm a little bit of a survivor in some things um and so I just want to make that clear of the victim and survivor um, verbiage that whatever they want to be called yeah. as well I'll, I'll call them but that was, they want to, you know, they're victim or survivors or not it's totally that either way they are a survivor it that's something again and it might so i'm a middle school teacher and we go through all this like awareness training and implicit bias training and like as a white male that's in decent shape when i go for a jog on a road I've never once questioned my safety. You know, like I, I walked around Philly today yeah. with my daughter and literally saw a woman stop in the middle of the street on her knees, almost like a Muslim would be praying, but in the middle of traffic. And I was like, should we? And like, there's a hundred people walking and everybody's like kind of looking, being like, she's she doesn't seem Muslim. She seems like a white chick, like spazzing out. And you're like, do we help her? Is she sick? Do we leave her be? And I was going to approach her and I didn't even think twice. And then I looked at my kid and she was petrified, frozen solid with fear. And she was like, this is not my safe place. No, daddy, don't go help her. We need to go. And I'm like, yeah. well, I got to leave the stranger because my daughter doesn't feel well. Right. You know, but, that's so, so hard. That's what I hate about living in this world nowadays is like, um, you know, and, I, and I'm very, I'm very libertarian just to say, but I see everything from everybody's point of view and I think that I was having this conversation with my husband the other day I said I think everybody has a form of discrimination against them uh you know like and I told him I was like if we were to go off into fucking war and ever you know people were getting drafted they're gonna probably draft the men first like that's that's a discrimination on them yeah. females yeah. are discriminated against you know people of, in a minority group they're discriminated against you know so there's every, you know it exists pretty much everywhere and um, you know, you, you look at like sex trafficking because that's the first thing I thought of when she was kneeling down is the sex trafficking has gone so out of the roof lately. And everything that I see, I'm like, that's a sex trafficking, trafficking, you know, Wait. trick. I will not be helping. But then you're also like, well, fuck, what if they're actually like a pedestrian in need? And I'm just a bystander of that. So you're like, are really in this torn place of like, I want to help them, but I also don't know what the fuck is going on. Go back. That's a sex trafficking technique. Oh, they have used... They have used females because now they see that women are starting to not 
trust men because men have always kind of been the face of sex trafficking. No. So now women that have been sex trafficked to bring in more targets because it's always been like, oh, she's a female. I trust her. And they know that. So they're like, okay, I'm going to get one of my female sex traffickers that I have and I'm going to use her as a target and I'm going to draw them in. So like now females are a part of sex trafficking and, Holy and things shit, like that. And, you know, and this is all based and this is the same thing I told my husband. I was like, you know, the statistics are what they are that statistically females are you know harassed more or assaulted more or whatever i was like but i don't know if that's true because how many men haven't come forward because it's very few men that will come forward out of shame so we don't know really what those numbers are because there could be so many men that have been abused that haven't come forward therefore the statistics aren't going to be 100 percent accurate so um but just in speaking of you know what's on the paper of numbers it's normally women and so now they've use women to get women since it's to target them. Dude, I didn't even think about that. Holy <laughs> shit. So I leave my we kid need to go down the rabbit hole Dude. of sex trafficking on TikTok. And I know people can be like, oh, you shouldn't get your things from TikTok. No, TikTok has some very interesting rabbit holes of sex trafficking at people's. I was followed my senior year of college in Walmart by people I know were sex traffickers because I knew what to look for. But it's so common. So people have shared about it on TikTok and they give so much good like insight. Like, this is what they did. This is what I saw. This is what they said to me. And, like all of this stuff. And it's so scary. Like I don't go anywhere without my pew pew, when, especially when I'm with my kid. So I'm like, guns a blazing. Like I'm ready if something happens because it's, it's scary for yourself. But if you're alone, I'm like, okay, you know, like I'm alone at least. Like I'll try to take care of me. But when you're with your kid, you know, you know that parental instinct. You're just like, nothing matters in the world except yeah. for your kid's safety. And if somebody threatens that, it's fucking game on. So it's so scary. It's I, I fucking hate going out in public with my kid. <laughs> um, <laughs> so much. So much. Can you help me with my boomer self to understand the sex trafficking TikTok? Like, look fors or I, I don't... I just go on TikTok and in the search bar put sex, sex trafficking. And so many videos will probably pop up of women being like, I was followed in and Target's like a huge place. And Walmart, because it's the fucking ghetto. I don't know what is up with a Walmart about sex traffickers. Do what? Cheap prices, man. I mean, like it's a price well, point. You know, there's a reason Walmart people exist. Like the people of Walmart website exist. So <laughs> um, they hang out at Walmart and Target now. And the reason they hang out in Target is because it's all moms with their children. It's. Yeah. Yeah. It's it, the world. I hate it. <laughs> yeah, there there was a couple things, but I guess it originally my thought was going to the victim survivors and there was a movie on Netflix. Um she dated, maybe was married to Ashton Ashton Kutcher. Um oh. what's her name? Is, not, it, is it new? Yeah, Mila not Demi Moore, the the younger Mila one. Kunis? Yes. So Yeah, the, the luckiest girl alive. Luckiest girl alive. Uh, I was just watching that last night actually. Okay. I didn't finish it, but Dude, really? Like, I, I thought it was going to be terrible. And then I got past the first it's 10 minutes. It's not what I expected it to be. I was watching. I was like, oh. I'm all in. Dude, great movie. But there's a scene in there where she's going for a documentary. And I never heard the difference between victim survivor. And mm -hmm. because I probably won't have to in my life, right? As again, white male. <laughs> and yeah, you hope not. And hopefully for my child's sake. But um that was the first time where the director was like, wait, what do you prefer victim or survivor? And it was, it was a very interesting 
choice and mentality flip because we talk about mentality with kids and it's the power of words and the power of what you called yourself. And I remember having all these thoughts about just that subtlety and the nuance between it. So when you bring it up, I'm like, dude, that is so true. You don't mean it to be offensive, but like at the same time, it's very true. I'm very very on the fence of that too, is like not everything everybody says is needs to be taken offensively. Like yeah. I should be able to say that the sky is blue and you'd be like, well, the grass is green. What, what about that? Like, I'm not talking about the fucking grass. I'm talking about the sky. <laughs> you know, people want to get offended about everything nowadays. But I think in terms of like that, that's a, that's a very, when you're a part of that world and, and you know the world of whether to be labeled a victim or a survivor, it hits a little bit different. But when things are like that serious, um, I think it's, I think we all owe it to each other as a human race where we're all equal as just human beings with blood running through our veins that we owe it to each other to acknowledge that some of us have been through instances that others have not. And that in terms of like that, it's very serious. And um, in situations like that, it can be very serious. And it's, we should ask, you know, whatever you prefer or whatever, but we should understand that with the word victim comes a sense of weakness. I feel like, like if someone wants to call me a victim, I'm like, well, I don't, that it just, it just feels very like, like I'm being stepped on when I'm already down sort of feel like, well, you're just a victim. You, you were, you couldn't fight it off. You were power. I feel powerless. I think that's the word that I'm trying to find words. Cause that was my biggest thing before the whole victim to survivor um, verbiage came out was I said this a lot, especially when the trial of Larry Nassar was going on. And that's kind of actually when the survivor thing kind of picked off because the me too movement had just started happening not long before Larry was being convicted. But um, I remember just even growing up, I was always like, I'm successful in spite of you. Like, I'm not successful because you beat me to, you know, you beat me down so much. That's not why I'm successful. I'm successful in spite of that. I'm successful because I worked hard, because I wanted it, because I was willing to do things other kids were not willing to do. So when, you know, then I hear survivors, like that's what that means to me is, they were this in spite of you. Simone was who she was in spite of the fact that Larry was who he was and everything that she went through growing up. So I think that with Survivor, it really gives power back to the girls and, and, and boys that go through this. It's like, no, I'm not this powerless person. I was just taken advantage of. Yeah. But even though that happened, I'm still very successful. So that's what being a Survivor means. Yeah, and it's... You, I always thought of victim not to diminish the power of yeah, the person. I no, diminishing no. as well until it was pointed out. I was like, that's a great point. Yeah, like, but I looked at victim as like putting the onus on the the fuckhead sure. who went yeah. at you because criminals have victims, and it was like, I'm you're a victim because that person was so fucking wrong. But I never thought about the label of victim, and it's really I don't know why the movie made me think about it in that one little scene that much. But, and then when you brought up in the conversation, I was like, holy shit, man, like this is a, like that's really something to be considered about. Yeah, and that's that's what I was just searching for actually is like really what the term victim comes from. I mean, the definition of it is a person harmed, injured, or killed as a result of a crime or accident. And that's true, we are that. You know, people that go through that, they are that. And it, but the problem with, you know, words matter to me. And and the definition of victim is what it is. So we have to acknowledge that too. It doesn't mean I'm diminishing you, but words can also be used over time as socially degrading. 
Yeah. Um, so it's like, well, you were just a victim. And there comes this little like nasty connotation with victim now, I feel like, especially in terms of sexual assault, where it's still, I think it's definitely getting better. But, you know, people that are like, I'm in, I feel like people are almost embarrassed talking about being sexually assaulted because it's such a um, intrusive and it's so, um, what's the word, intimate that happening. And so it's embarrassing, you know, it's like when girls get their first period, like, embarrassing I'm like honey why like this is so natural like whatever you know it's just anything with our bodies it's just embarrassing because it's very um sensitive or it's very intimate um and so I think that's where when victim came into play it's it's it just made us feel even more small I guess um, but I, it's very interesting how that word has gotten, you know, kind of skewed and I don't disagree with it, but I don't agree with it as well. Cause I know, yeah. you know, I know what the definition of victim is and, but I understand why people feel the way they feel towards it. Cause we as society have kind of formed it that way. Yeah. It really shifts the, even the like power spotlight and it diminishes the criminal and it takes mm-hmm. the criminal's power away and it completely shifts it to the person who gets through it and overcomes the assault. Yeah, because I don't know why, I don't, my brain works, I think the way that a lot of society reads things is whenever you hear the word victim, it's such a, like if I'm reading an article, I want to know more about the victim sometimes than I do the, the perpetrator. And I'm like, like, that's not right. Like, I feel like, you know, it, it, it does put a target on the victim in the sense of like, well, people want to know what, about the victim more than they do the perpetrator so it's 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 definitely very interesting and that's what just made me think of that but and, and I wonder you know why that is um but it, like it doesn't it definitely shines that light on the victim more than it does the person that did the thing so um I don't know it's very interesting yeah it's and I, I'm not like a word doctor in any way but it is one of <laughs> yeah, those I'm from Arkansas so <laughs> <laughs> speaking of stereotypes um <laughs> No kidding. Can, just for awkward transition sake, since we were talking about um, time and coaching a while back, help me understand the elite versus level 10 because the hard coaching... Yeah, confusing. <laughs> yeah, and the hard coaching is something that's interesting. So I'm a middle school basketball coach and I'm a middle school teacher and it's that almost that same like defining age range of like 12 to four, 11 to 14 where it's like, if you're going to make it, man, those are pretty pivotal years. Like you might. Yeah, you're the same in gymnastics. That is the hardest age group to coach in my opinion. Yeah, dude, they're because they're squirrely and they're nuts. And they're, they're going through puberty. Yeah. They're figuring out who they are, what they're passionate about. It's, it is a train wreck. And then, yeah, you get six inches on you and you're like, you're completely uncoordinated. Or, oh my God, you have a mustache. You're completely the most dominant guy out here. And it's right. like, you just, whatever changes. But I'm curious about the choice to go from elite because i guess if i'm thinking in my mind it the way you broke down the whole olympics do i go professional and you like played the path out like 10 degrees i'm like is that normal i don't think that's normal i don't think that normally happens to have something that's very special but see how it's actually terrible down the way and then backtrack which would seem like a maybe demotion's the wrong word but back going backwards I, I, I felt that way honestly i right? was like i feel like i'm being degrade i'm, I'm degrading, degrading myself yes by, you know, like going from elite to level 10 but it was very normal elite's a very <clears throat> difficult level to not only achieve but obtain but um, i'll just start from the beginning so 
there's levels one through 10. They used to be called the junior Olympic levels. That whole, all those levels one through 10, that was the junior Olympic levels, which made no sense because none of those levels could go to the Olympics. So why is it called junior Olympic? I don't know. <laughs> well, they changed that in the last two years. Now it's called developmental program. Makes totally more sense because these levels are the developmental levels. Everyone wants to try to get to level 10 at least. Level 10 is like the bare minimum of where you'll, you'll probably be recruited. So level 10, the majority of those girls, if they're level 10 their whole lives, they're probably just looking for a college scholarship. Because in order to go to the Olympics, so we have the NCAA, we have Olympics. Those are like the two, the highest we can go as gymnasts. Level 10s only, most likely just trying to go to the to college. Some gymnasts will go from level 10 to elite. And you have elite, which is uh, divided up into age groups. You have junior elite and senior elite, and that's just off age. Um, usually gymnasts will skip level 10 if they're going the elite route, which is what I did. Um, because in order to become an elite, you have to, you have to qualify as a pre-elite. Um, and you have to be 11 to do that. So okay. then when the time you're 12, um, I believe it's 11, maybe 10 to 11, and then 11 to 12, you can stay in those years. Once you turn 12, at least, and this was during my time, it could be different, but I think it's the same now. Once you turn 12, then you're allowed to be old enough to qualify as an elite. Once you're an elite, that's the shit. Like pre-elite doesn't really count. Like maybe that's just like ninth grade. We're trying to get to 12th grade. Yeah. So once you're in, you know, high school, 12th grade of elite, you work your way up just like in high school. Junior elite, which is based off age, 12 to 15, 12 to 14, 15. Senior elite, 15 and up. And you have to be turning 16 the year of the Olympics to go. Um, so usually the people in elite, they're like, they're elite because they're trying to go to the Olympics. Because if you're not elite, you don't get to be considered for the Olympics at all. Can I stay in, in when you talk about qualifying and jumping levels? It seems, I, I want to know, like, is there a rubric somewhere of yes. you hold five moves of this? It's you... score. Everything's based off score. Score so in a particular. test out of every level. Um, to test out of every level, it's like a 32 all around or a 34 all around. And that score is the cumulative of all four scores put together. And do you have to That's go to a particular, like a qualifying event yes. and achieve it that score? It has to be a USAG sanctioned meet. So okay. USAG has to know this is a real meet with real judges. Gotcha. And then it counts. So, so then it comes to the judges. The, the organization is certifying the judges and basically trusting them yes. to give you the And it's honestly all based off an honor system as well. There is no check mark that we have to send into USAG that says this girl got a 32 in this level. It's an honor system, truly. Wow. Um, so, yeah, which I find very interesting. So... It's based off a score, and that's how you can move up every level. And it's the same thing with pre-elite. You have certain skills and a certain routine that you have to do, and then you have to get that score to become pre-elite. Gotcha. Once you're pre-elite, that's when you start going through the elite stuff, and it's the same thing. It's, certain, it's specific routines or whatever, and then they add that up with your – and it's this is – it just – it's all – it really is confusing. Like, you have your compulsory part of elite, which is where everybody does the same stuff. You get that score. Then you go to your optional part of elite where you do your own routine and make it up whatever. And then that adds into, you know, whatever score you need to be to be an elite. Once you're elite, there's no more of that shit. You're there. You got it. Now you just compete to get your name, to get scores, to try to make worlds or Pan Ams or to be on national team, which national team is like, now we're elite. 
now you need to be on national team. National team is a, a group of 10 girls that qualified there from a specific meet. You have to do it at this meet. And the reason they do that is because they want to know we're good under pressure because it's gymnastics. You only have one shot. So at this meet, you get top 10 or whatever. You're on national team. And I think they get to add people to national team. I'm not really sure. But once you're on national team, now I can consider you for the Olympics, for Worlds, for Pan Ams. Whatever. Some girls might get picked up along the way if they're not on national team, but normally it's based off national team. So that's the elite world. All the time, girls from the elite world move back to level 10 because the elite world is very hard to Dude, I didn't breathe while you were explaining it. That's how like intense just the explanation. I couldn't imagine living it that young. That's how everything works out, basically. So I went from elite to go level 10 because I was like, I don't want the Olympics. So there's no reason for me to stay level, to stay elite. Let me just go level 10, have less hours, have more fun, be on a team. Cause I was the only elite in my gym. I was all by myself doing that. So then I get to be on a team with girls that are all my level and it's so much more fun. And then I get to just focus on fun meets and go to nationals as you know, at the time as a JO gymnast and now it's a developmental gymnast, but it's the same thing. It's just a different name. And you know, it was just, that's, you know, that's what that is. And that's what I did. So I was just, I was a level 10 for four years, which is like a long time. You know, uh, that's when you know you're a good level 10 is they've been level 10 for four <laughs> fucking years. We're just like waiting to graduate and get on with our lives. So yeah, that's the whole process. And then from there you go NCAA and you can still go NCAA from elite, you know, with the, like Jordan Childs, all of these Olympians have done, they were never really level 10. They were just elite the whole time. And the NCAA will recruit from elite pool and that level 10 pool. Gotcha. And kind of mix us all in. And that's how we end up all together in the NCAA world. Dude, the isolation's a great point. I didn't even think about that. So you get a label or something. Now all of a sudden you're not hanging out with your friends anymore. Cause you, I guess you still do have like your home yeah, gym or your team. community gym. I have gym. my team, but I was the only girl on my team that was going to these elite meets because I was the only one allowed to go because I was the only elite. Yeah. So that costs normally, you know, because the parents have to pay for their hotel and their kids' fees. Then they have to pay for the coaches' hotels and their fees and their food and their drive and their lodge. So it's fucking expensive on parents. And that's, you know, why when you have a team where everybody's going to the same meet, it's cheaper on the parents because $1,000 divided by 10 people is yeah. blah, blah, blah. A thousand dollars divided by one is a thousand dollars. This parent needs to pay, and it wasn't just a thousand; it was always, you know, more. But just for math's sake, but that's that's how it worked out financially, which was really hard. Yeah, th that's another aspect of gymnastics where I was like, you know what, man, I'm I don't enjoy this world of like, hey, and it was part of dance too. Was whatever the yeah, fucking outfit dance, is every yeah. time, and I'm like, nah, I'm out. You know what we're gonna do? We'll, we'll go run. It's like 60 bucks. That's for free. Go outside. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. But like, that's where I wonder how many, like how much opportunity is lost because of the cost so much. being so prohibitive. Much. So much. Yeah. And I've, and I've seen that as a coach. I, you know, I get the girls that they're good, but they just can't afford it. And it's, it's heartbreaking because you don't want to burden your child with finances. That's not their, their burden to bear. Yeah. But you as a parent supporting their sport, you have to be like, Baby, I'm sorry, I can't buy you another leotard. And the leotards are fifty dollars because I just spent four hundred dollars on your competition leotard and four hundred dollars on tuition and this amount of you know, you you want to explain it to your kid, but you don't want to make them feel guilty about the price either. So gymnastics, you know, in a dream world, if I you know, 
become successful somehow in gymnastics financially and I, I kind of make it in the sport to have a name. I wish there was, I want to do something where we sponsor athletes because it really, gymnastics is such a privileged sport. It really is. You really do have to be so privileged to be and stay in the sport because it's so expensive. And thank God for my parents and the Lord is good because he financially supported us so much and my parents so much where they could support me because without that financial support I never would have been an elite and I never would have had doors open for me with the way that they were so I would love to give that back to kids whose families just can't afford it and since you enjoy being negative and because that was so positive I just want to bring you back to you <laughs> um, sorry I was out of character there <laughs> um it, but it made me think of you transitioning or regressing, in quotes, from elite to level 10 after the investment. And like, um, how did that go that down? Was how I was that into, conversation? That was I took into consideration when I was looking at this is I was like, you know, my parents are spending and my parents never talked to me about finances, but I knew the world was expensive. So I didn't really you know, need them to. And I looked at the world and I was like, you know, I know this is expensive. I just felt so guilty because I was not 100% in it anymore. And I was like, I will not do that to my family. I will not be 100% in this sport and know what my family is paying because that is not fair. So that was something I took into consideration. And I was like, no, my parents have done too much for me, for me to just, you know, just so flippantly do this and half-ass it. Like, I'm not going to do that. I'm not a half-ass person. And um, that takes a toll on my mental health because I'm like, I'm either all in or I'm all out. I can't do a middle. It's not, it doesn't exist. So for me, I was like, you know what? I'm not 100% in this. I'm not going to the Olympics. It's not fucking worth it to me. I'm done. And that was a big thing with the finances. I was like, I will not put this on my parents anymore. Like, it's not fair. They've sacrificed. My brothers have sacrificed so much for me. We never took family vacations. Like my kids take vacations all the time because I'm not a bitch ass coach who's like, you can't miss a day. Like, I'm like, no, please go take days off. It's good for you. But we never got that from our coaches. Like my coach got pissed at me for missing one day in like two years to go to the beach when I was like 12. My mom's like, it's fucking fine. Season is over. She's 12. We're going to the goddamn beach for a day. And you're just going to suck it up. It'll, the gymnastics will be here on Monday. So that's where we came from. And my, we never got family vacations hardly because of the world I was in. And I knew that. And I was like, you know what? I'm just not doing this to my family anymore because I know it's not going to be the Olympics. Gosh. So I was just like, it's just not, it's not worth it. It's not to, to what? To keep going down this road half-assed and know I'm not going to make it. I just wasted so much money. I'm not going to do that to my family. And yet you seem so competitive that I'm like, how do you, how do you I'm not stick with the I'm Olympic realistic. dream though? So was I'm it, but realistic. <laughs> so was it a skill thing that you, so, and, and let, let me, no. I guess put some context in it. Like I was talking to guys and, um, I've gotten to the point now where like, I've known people who get like drafted at different levels of major league baseball. And they, they, they become very aware of like, dude, I just couldn't figure out a real curveball. Like I got yeah. to the plate and no matter how much I studied it, no. could not get a curveball. And they're like, my skill set, I now realize that I could not have. And yeah. I'm hearing your competitiveness and I'm like, it has to be so hard to give up the Olympic thing because you're the fuck you girl. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. Um, no, that is something that I will say that has always really hurt me and always has bothered me and will 
probably always bothered me and was why I coached the way I coach. Um, Cause I was like, I, I think I could have gone really far. And I know people say that and I hate saying that because they're like, I could have been a major league baseball back. And that's not what I'm trying to do. Like I, I know who I am and I know what I'm capable of. I don't think I would have made the Olympic team, but I think I would have gotten really fucking far if I had a different coach. Yeah. And it wasn't physical with me. I was one of, the, and I hate talking about myself, but I, I really was one of those gymnasts. I could learn almost any skill. There were a few skills I was, you know, I couldn't ever figure out. Like I could never do like a tuck full, but I didn't need to do a tuck full on beam because I could do something else that was the same value. But I could, like, ninety nine percent of the time, I could learn any skill. I, I I learned skills quick. It was not a physical thing. It was I was not being nurtured enough mentally and emotionally to be successful in this sport. Um, and honestly, kind of hardly any of us were in a way, but all of those gymnasts that I see in the Olympics with the coaches that they had, for the most part, their coaches knew enough how to nurture them to get them to that point. And mine, unfortunately, just didn't. And I don't think it was malicious at all. He just didn't know how to nurture me. Um, so maybe if I had a different coach, the outcome would have been different. But that's what I noticed too with a lot of the girls that made the Olympic team. They really did have coaches that were well-rounded in all areas, although some of them that went to the Olympics had coaches that I don't think should be coaching anymore, but that's a different story. Um, so I don't want to say all of them had great coaches, but the majority of them had coaches that got it and they understood, you know, what it needed um, mentally, emotionally, and physically. So I think with me, if I, I just wasn't nurtured the way that I needed to be to go farther. Yeah, what, what would nurturing have been like? for you? I think at that age, it would have been nice for my coach just to be, just to see me and to notice that I was so burnt out. I was so tired. I was so like over it. You know, I recognize that with my athletes um, because I care and not that I think he didn't care, but I just don't think he, that just wasn't on his radar. And so he didn't know, he didn't look for it. My kids, I can tell when they're off. Um, you know, they come in with a little bit of a sadder face. I'm like, what's wrong? And then I find out they're being bullied in school and, and, you know, things like that. And so I just, I wish I had been noticed more as a kid and that kids deal with shit too. And I would have been like, you know, you're a really hard fucking coach. Like not in like, you make me do hard assignments. Like you belittle me. You tell me I'm lazy. I'm not fucking lazy. If I was lazy, I wouldn't be here. I might be acting lazy. Those are different. I'm acting lazy, but I'm not lazy. Like it got personal and it just, it's little chisels that, you know, degrade and and pull you down. And when I was at the bottom of it, I was like, I'm not, this is not being noticed at all. So I think for me, it would just, I just wanted to be seen and understood more from my coach. And I wanted him to, because I knew even at 12 or 13, I was like, I think it's okay if I have a day off. You know, I think it's okay if I have a bad day. I really, I like the world's still spinning. Like, I really think it's okay. And that was like, no, gymnastics is life. Gymnastics is everything. You're a gymnast. I'm like, and that was something my parents made very clear with every coach. So like, she's not a gymnast. She's Bray. She's my daughter. She's a sister. She does gymnastics. Those are different. Stop putting her identity in this sport because that creates all new issues, you know? So um, that, that's what I personally needed. And that is one of the most difficult things about being a coach is you have, if you want to be a good coach and you really want to help your athletes, you have to coach 
the individual first. You hold all of them to the same standard, yes, but you cannot coach me the same way you coach that girl because you can yell at that girl and she'll get her shit done. You yell at me, I'm going to shut down. That's when it comes learning how to coach the individual and knowing what works for them. And that was just not a thing when I was that age. Yeah, dude, the whole consider individuality is so anti-team, right? It's anti-standard. Yeah, and and maybe that's why they do it because it's anti- team i mean i, I, I think that was it but now you have all these studies and you have all these personality tests and you have all this psychology sociology and you're like you know it does kind of make sense that people respond differently <laughs> to the same yeah, like prompt. as much as they try to we yeah. were not robots yeah like, exactly <laughs> but i feel like that was the mentality and just like the standard of my way highway like oh, that, yeah, that's the saying, like who really still goes with my way highway anymore? Like nobody. Very lonely people. <laughs> Hitchhikers. Very lonely people. The hitchhikers doing this, hoping someone's going to pick them up. I'm like, sex trafficking. <laughs> it's a trap. Don't pick them it's up. It's a trap. Floor it. That was the thing too, right? Like the whole car broken down baby on the roof. Yeah, like that was the thing a couple thing. years ago. Yeah, that's been a little bit. Yeah. God, dude, you're opening my eyes to things. I'm really trying to look back now to be like, was that woman somehow setting people up, man? Because it was. You never know. Like, I hope she wasn't and I hope she's okay, but it just, it sucks that you just can't do it. I feel like sometimes I can't be a good person. No, dude, it was amazing to see literally 150 people and people in cars. So she's in a turn lane and people are taking lefts at lights and intersections in Philadelphia and it's fucking crowded. And you see BMWs like swerving and honking at a woman that's in the prone position rocking in a in like a crosswalk. And you're like, nobody fucking stopped. And at the same time, I was like, nobody felt bad about stopping because they're like, yo, this is the city and you just that's don't fucking being, do that. That's what being educated and just not being ignorant kind of helps come into play. Because for me, I would have analyzed that situation and be like, if she was like needing help, she'd probably be screaming for help. Or you would, she wouldn't just be rocking in a fetal position. Like she'd be like on the floor if she was like, you know, having a heart attack or a stroke. Yeah, or a seizure, like, exactly. You can analyze that. And if she's being chased, she'd probably be like, fucking help. Like yeah. she'd probably do that. Like her sitting there rocking in the fetal position, I'd be like, that bitch is on drugs for yeah. sure. You know, like, cause, and that seems pretty likely in Philadelphia, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like that <laughs> she was spiked up on something. So I would have just been like, I would have just called the cops, honestly. It's been like 911, there's somebody rocking in a field position. You can handle it. That's where my tax dollars go. So go take a walk. <laughs> Make sure your body camera's on. <laughs> yeah, please. Don't turn that shit off. I, I don't even want to talk about it. Um, I saw it's part of what I love following just the random people on Twitter is like the reposts or the retweets that you see and you like get to expand your perspective to yeah. be like, yeah, dude, some cops, and I'm very pro-cop, but I'm like, dude, some of these guys, man, are wound. You talk about like you being a gymnast and needing a day off. I'm like, maybe our cops are just so fucking overworked and overstressed. And under-trained. And yeah, right? Like underprepared for physical conflict. I watched two guys not be able to take a dad who's 55 and overweight down quickly. <laughs> Two on one, they had to fucking make, they couldn't take a cell phone from his hand. And you're like, that's not, shouldn't you have like a ha, 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 three point technique where it's like, right. like Miyagi would I, have I Daniel son knocking no, him down so quick. And it's like, why doesn't the cop know how to 
forcefully restrain somebody without actually injuring them in just a yeah, real basic technique. Disagree. Yeah, I don't disagree. Yeah. I, I fully agree with that. It's, yeah. Sorry. I don't, I mean, it's just like, I see cops the way I, I do coaches. I'm like, you know, not every coach is bad, but I can understand why people don't trust coaches because there's been a lot of bad coaches. There's been a lot of bad cops. So, yeah. you know, just be on guard and, and you, you hope for the best. But, um, yeah, I don't disagree with that in, in terms of cop training. We could uh, use a little bit more of that. Dude, it was amazing. <laughs> They're Like the dad pulled and he saw his son getting pulled over. So the cop immediately threatens the dad with, you're going to get arrested for a traffic violation. So he parks the car where the cop tells him, stands on the sidewalk cop calls for backup second cop tries to take the dad down for recording his son being arrested it's illegal i'm allowed to video and that's what he's saying and then it's like you're not taking my phone and like but i look at two, yeah, get a warrant get a warrant for my phone motherfucker two on let's race. one let's race if i can beat you walking <laughs> and you're running then you can have my phone i guarantee i win <laughs> The real skill for you would be, would you like grab the tree limb as you're running and do some sort of shit to flip up and then just start like, ah. Uh, no, no, maybe not. I would just, I don't know. I don't know how to do it that situation. That'd be pretty cool. I shit my pants first if I'm being honest with y'all. Fuck, I'm about to get, there's some legal trouble about to come. I'm not a lawyer, but something's about to get fucked up. Um, let me... <laughs> that was just I don't, I don't know why it was such a random thought for mine but with, with the cop video <laughs> thing it um it's very real can I, tell me about like your arkansas connection and choosing because that's interesting because you kind of missed the boat and i saw a little bit about like you getting into the nil and trying to like help athletes now which is like it, it makes a lot a lot of sense right yeah. but you yeah, definitely so missed that in your day right by like two years yeah. yeah not not far off of it so my class you know all of us that were recently retired when nil came about we were a little salty a little I, bet. I think there were actually some lawsuits going on for like missed opportunity or something Dude, which i don't disagree with ed o'bannon um, was on that shit from like once ncaa 1996 came out or something he was like whoa why is number 13 in there looking just like me and you're selling this for 50 bucks and i get no money you yeah know? Yeah. Yeah. So with NIL, um, yeah, we, I totally missed that train, unfortunately, but, um, Arkansas came about, um, just because, you know, they were recruiting me and I went on a visit there. I had previously gone on a visit to OU in Alabama and, you know, it's, it's so cliche, but you really wind up where you're meant to be. So when I went to Arkansas, I knew I was going to commit to Arkansas before they even offered me because I knew they were going to offer me. So I was like already buying Arkansas shit. My mom's like, they literally haven't even offered you. I was like, but they're going to, <laughs> you know, I was like, I already know. So I went on the visit and I, I loved, I loved the campus, but I loved it. I didn't even know what I was looking for. They're like, this is the, you know, college for this. I was like, I don't care. Like, I don't care. I'm not coming to school to be smart. Like, I'm going to be honest. I'm not like, I don't care. I'm here to do gymnastics. Like, honest to God. That, and that, you know what? Every athlete for the most part is lying. If that's not the, the fact, because every football player is probably going to try to get drafted and yeah. we have to in school. But I would say, you know, there's still a lot that go for the school. But for me personally, no, ma'am, I was not there for the education. So I really wasn't even paying attention to the tour of, you know, the campus. I was just like, I love it here. Like, this is a beautiful place. I'm going to be an adult. I get to do college gymnastics. This is going to be amazing. Like, I get free food. I get free apparel. I get to hang out with my friends all the time. We're going to go party. Like, I'm going to be a college kid. Like, that's what I was excited about. 
and I get to do fucking gymnastics, like my favorite thing in the world. And I thought I was going to major in kinesiology. And when I went on my uh, uh, orientation, they're like, you're going to have to take this math. I said, uh, which degree makes me not take that math? They're like, oh, you should look at this force management. I was like, that sounds great, honey. Put me down for that. Changed my major orientation. I was like, I'm not doing fucking that math. No way. I can't do it. And then I come to find out, you know, years later after school that I have multiple learning disabilities. So that was awesome. But, I mean, Arkansas, when I got there, I was just like, it just felt right. Like there was just something in my chest that was like, this is where you're meant to be. And then everything unfolds and I'm obviously meant to be in Arkansas. So that's how it came about. I committed there when I was 15 years old. Same vibe. So buying the gear wasn't on like some whatever assistant coach, somebody like writing you a letter, giving you a postcard email. It was just literally a vibe that you knew, oh, yeah. like the universe yeah. talking to you just, type shit. We, we had a family friend who he went to the University of Arkansas and he was like, she's going to love it. It is, they love their athletes. They adore their athletes. Like she's going to be so adored there. Like it's so homey, all of that. And he was making me fall in love with it before I even had even visited. Uh, so when I got there, I was like, he's right. Like Arkansas is all Arkansas has got. You go to Texas. Okay. First of all, throw a dart on the Texas map, you'll hit a fucking college yeah. with a sports team. So you get to Texas and, you know, everybody in Texas, not only is rooting for their Texas teams, like I'm a UT fan, like hook them horns, you know, but then I'm an Arkansas fan first, like, you know, go hog. So well, you're a fan of some Texas team when you live in Texas and then you have your outside teams, you know, that you support. So it's not a college prideful state. You go to Arkansas and that's just college in general. Then you have professional teams in Texas and all that stuff. You don't have that in Arkansas. It is the university, and they did that on purpose. They're like, Arkansas is all Arkansas is going to have. And that is why we are one of the most beautiful um, athletic facilities in the nation. We have some of the nicest stuff you will ever see because we have J.B. Hunt, we have Walmart, we have Tyson, and we have Jerry Jones, who's the owner of the Dallas Cowboys. Oh, that's right. We a shit ton of money. And it's just, and they did that on purpose because they're smart. So um, going there, I was just like, this is what I fucking, because I'm a very loyal person. And to know that the state was loyal to us as athletes, um, that was, I loved that. And I I, I wanted that. And I, I wanted to represent Arkansas, like, because I loved it. And I was like, you know what? Like, I take this seriously. Like, I take my leotard seriously like I know when I'm on the floor there's a four-year-old watching me I take that seriously so I was so loyal to the program and to the school and that's what I love because they were loyal right back to us dude your awareness are you sure are you really thinking all this in the moment or is this you like <laughs> reflecting back I think that's the ADHD that I got diagnosed with last year no I yeah I really Jeez. I really did think about that because I was that kid at one point I was just I'm just I'm, a, I'm one of the most oblivious person, like people you will meet, but I'm very aware of other things uh, and ways that people are not. And, you know, that's just who m makes it me and what makes anybody, anybody. But no, I really, I really did think about all of that all in like five seconds because apparently <laughs> ADHD is a superpower, you know, <laughs> it, like Da Vinci had it. Right. So they said, yeah. but they say that some of the best athletes usually have ADHD. I'm it, like, oh. It's a spidey sense thing, man. Um, it is. I've, I don't know. I've taught long enough at this point that I hate the fact. So I do reading 
And I'm like, I hate the fact that kids can leave reading being like, I suck at reading. It's like, no, dude, you don't suck at reading. You just don't like it. Doesn't mean you're bad yeah. at it, man. It's like, and by I mean, the way, do it the way you need to do it differently. Or what I tell them, I'm like, dude, and it's okay that you don't like it and you don't want to spend a bunch of time on it, man. Like that, that doesn't make you stupid in any way. And like, it's very weird that kids start feeling certain ways because they can't get a certain grade in something Mm -hmm. that they have zero. Like you, what you just said about math, imagine if you had that ability in like ninth grade to be like, wait, 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 I need the high school degree that has nothing to do with chemistry. Just, right. just steer me clear of that, and I'm gonna show up and be extremely happy for you yeah, every I, other class. Yeah, I saw class. a tweet about that. It was like, I'm 38 and I still have yet to use E equals MC squared. Like, I'm still right. waiting. Yeah. <laughs> I would have loved. I, I would have. I would have loved yeah. that. Because I mean, I what I was passionate about in high school followed me through college. Like, I love to write and I love to be creative, obviously. Um, and so I minored in communications and then I love sports. So that I majored in sports management and that has opened so many doors for me and being creative, um, is social media. I have to be very creative on social media to create content and sports is a way I do that. And I help use that. So I, I mean, I, I wish, I wish, yeah, high school could be a little bit more like that. Yeah, especially on a senior, junior year. It's like you want to, basically you learn all the skills. Your functional skills are learned by eighth grade. Reading, writing, basic arithmetic. You're like, okay, dude, like worst case scenario, you know how to fill out a form. You're good. Like our society's developed enough. Definitely, and this is just my personal opinion. I'm not a teacher in that world, but... I was homeschooled my whole life, and so I got to be compared with Were public really? schoolers. And yeah, I was. And when I went to college, people expected me to be a really bad student because they everybody thinks homeschoolers don't do anything. But I was on the dean's list for two years. I was a three-time academic All-American. Like I was very, I knew how to be a student. Um, and in high school, I wish the things that I've had to learn after college or. Uh, just being an adult, I wish those things were taught to high school kids. Like you need to learn what it means to be taxed, what that looks like, how to form an LLC, how to get out of a tax bracket, how to, you know, be smart with your taxes where you pay them legally, but you don't have to pay as much as you think you have to. Like being taught real world things and not equals MC squared. If you need to use that, great. We can go off and we can learn that because that's what you need to go do for your career. But I just feel like we need to raise our kids, especially in those high school years where they're starting to really develop and they're starting to become those young adults that we're setting out into the world. They need to fucking know how to, how to live, how to, you know, budget what it means to open a bank account, what it means to take out a loan, that being in debt, honestly, isn't always the worst thing to build your credit and then you can pay it off. Like all of these things that me and my husband are learning at 22 and 23 out of college, out of the military, and we're trying to learn it buying a house, you know? Um, that's how I feel with high school. And that's what I plan on doing with my son is, and all my kids that I have is, it'll be split fairly of you You need, you learn what you need to learn educational wise from that textbook, but I'm gonna teach you some real life shit. So when you get to college, you're not a fucking idiot like the rest of these kids who they're off, they don't know the consequences of their own actions because they didn't learn it in high school, you know, that sort of thing. And that's. That's how I feel in high school. Yeah, but they can just develop one hell of a thesis in a paper. (laughs) 
and argue something. You're like, that, that's, I don't know if that's super helpful in all aspects right. of life. I'm, okay, well, yeah. when you get to the bank, you hand in your thesis paper and be like, can I please buy a $200,000 house? With no this doubt. Time? Do you trust <laughs> me to get what better interest rate? Yeah, it's it's something where it, conspiracy, you talk about like sex trafficking TikToks. Um, part of my conspiracy theory is like, whoever, the Illuminati is somehow funding themselves through student loan debt and these unreasonable expectations in high school. Cause I look at high school and I'm like, all that funding's there for free. You kind of can really use high school to figure out what you want to study in college versus leaving high school and now having to pay to figure out, do I like business? Do I like mm -hmm. teaching? Do I like sports management communication? Throw that shit junior and senior year of high school, man, while it's mm -hmm. free. And people just like, can figure out, yep, that, that's how I want to try to make a living. But it doesn't really yeah, no, seem every, to happen. Everything in the world is just driven by money. So that's, I mean, my husband does money laundering um, for oh, a living. He's a he money launderer. I wish. <laughs> uh, for legal purposes, that's a joke. Um, no, he, he finds money launderers. Yeah, so he's like, everything is money laundering. Yeah. You know, and, and that's just... Every money just money runs the world, whether it's right or wrong. It, yeah, it's weird. And um, so with money to transition back to the NIL and gymnasts in Arkansas, I'm super. The first cool gymnast that I remember trending, and I do not remember her name, but she was UCLA, and I think she was. Yeah, I figured you would know it, right? And do you remember? Was it a Beyonce like remix song thing, or what was the mashup? One of the times she went viral. She's gone viral a few times. I don't remember. I think the first one she went viral on was a Michael Jackson. Yes. Routine, and then she changed it and did the Beyonce mixed in with a bunch of other stuff. Yeah, she's gone viral a few times. Yeah. A lot of these UCLA people do, and now Jordan Weber, who was the an Olympian in 2012. She was a volunteer coach at UCLA. Now she's the head coach at Arkansas. Oh, no way. Yeah. So super small world there. Um, and we've got a lot of great recruits because of her. So I'm really excited for the future of the program with that. But um, yeah, she she went viral a lot um, and she could have made so much money. Yeah. I'm like looking at that and I'm just like, what did that do for UCLA's value in the gymnast world versus her own personal profit? Just just in her social media presence alone, she could have been making a lot of money. Just in social media, just being who she was, having the number of followers that she had could have made her money on social media, um, and she couldn't take it. Not not only then opening doors when those videos go viral of brand deals that she could have gotten and all of this shit, but yeah, UCLA and the NCAA, they, we are just chess pieces. Uh, and I and I I walk a very fine line with how I feel about the NCAA because I respect them and I appreciate the opportunity that is given to athletes because truly without the NCAA we wouldn't have these opportunities. They did kind of build the infrastructure, right? <laughs> right. And just but just because you know you you feed someone, it doesn't mean everything you do gets a pass. You can still be wrong. Yeah. Um, and the NCAA has used athletes to make money, and they have. Um, withheld it from the athletes for whatever reason. And I'm glad that it's not doing that anymore, but there's still a lot of rules and regulations that go with it. And to me, I just don't, at first I was really against NIL. I was like, I was afraid that it was going to take away um, the pride of being a college athlete where you did what you did because you loved it. Um, and I, it gave me very major league vibes. That's why I don't really like the major leagues of anything because for me, I know for them, it's all a job at the end of the day. 
um, even though they do love it. And in athletics, it's I didn't feel like it was that much like that. But then as I got older, I realized everything's a business. I was in college to do gymnastics. That was a business for me. Like my business and my pay, what I had to shell out was I had to go to class in order to be a gymnast. Being a gymnast was my pay, you know? Um, and so I was like, you know what? No, fuck it. We as athletes, we work so fucking hard and the NCAA makes so much goddamn money. I can have a little slithering of that. So I quickly changed after kind of taking a retrospective look at it. And I was like, you know what? I did see it as this way, but I can, I can definitely see it on the flip side. And I'm on the other side of this coin now because it makes more sense. Um, so yeah, that's how I feel with NIL now is I'm glad the NCAA is it's giving athletes those opportunities because I think it's great for walk-ons because that was my biggest thing. I was like, you know, I'm making the NCAA and my coaches the same amount as money as my walk-on best friend who's paying to do this. And I would love to see walk-ons be able to make money for themselves. Would they be able to? So like, and that's part of where I'm like, how does a swimmer, how does a tennis player it's find all about a niche? Yourself. I mean, it's, it's, it's just like with any, um, actor or whatever is you have a good agent hire an agent know how to advertise yourself know how to brand yourself i mean i see gymnasts that um are gymnasts that you know don't compete a whole lot they're not the face or the star of their team but they have branded themselves so well during this nil stuff that they are killing it in terms of nil and it's just about how you brand yourself and how you put yourself out there and you set yourself up for those opportunities so it doesn't matter if you're a walk-on or not, you could have the biggest name, but if you aren't actively recruiting for yourself for deals, it's not going to happen whether you're on a four ride, the face of the name uh, of the team or not. So if, you know, if you're going out there and advertising yourself and bringing to companies your capability and what you could offer them, you know, it's why do we as humans send in resumes? We got to let our hirers know what we have to offer. It's the same thing for athletes. So then how big of a deal is it like Arkansas versus University of Texas, like the brand recognition of the school you're associated with? Do they try to then limit NIL opportunities because a school may feel that a student athlete is associating with a brand that the school doesn't want to be? Yeah, so this is this is a, a place that I want to get more educated in because I don't know a whole lot about the NIL rules, but what I do know is there are some schools that will give their athletes the permission to use their trademark. So, you know, like this Razorback is trademark. I, if I was on a team, couldn't be wearing all my Arkansas gear and use this as a ploy to, you know, get okay. um, that commercial to make money because I'm wearing this unless I have the permission. So, the rules differ per university, and it's now a recruiting mechanism where one football player was trying to decide between one school in Missouri. Missouri was like, we give you permission to use that Tiger label if you want for NIL, and he's smart. So he said, I'm going to go to fucking Missouri because I can use my jersey to go make money, and yeah. he's right to do that. So um, there is that opportunity in, in that um, hill to bump over, but um, in terms of other names like that, it, it, it also, it just really depends on the university and University of Texas is when I first looked at it and this was a while ago, but there was a time where the University of Texas was the most bought apparel in the nation. So right. um, I think, I think the, the, the name of the school definitely matters 
in terms of that, but every school will have its own rules in terms of gotcha. NIL. Yeah, it's it's funny because you were talking about like the facilities and making your choice and being like, oh my God, Arkansas just loves its athletes. And you wonder as an 18-year-old kid, because the student loan, and the, the, I don't know if this is even a decent connection. We should forgive student loans because how at 18 years old do you know what you're signing up for for a quarter of a million dollars? But at the same time, 18 years old, do you know the branding capability of University of Texas versus, versus Arkansas? And we're like empowering 18 year olds to make that decision. But then we're also saying they don't understand the repercussions of student loan debt. And yeah. like, that's where I start going. Like I I'm so fucking confused about, we can let them have their own business and make money and choices, but we can't hold them responsible for agreements. It yeah, seems... that's just the hypocrisy of the world, unfortunately, because I'm right there with you. Like, okay. how I view it is 18-year-olds shouldn't be making any goddamn choices because my brain didn't fully develop until I was 21. That boy isn't fully developed until he's 25. Like, what the fuck are we doing? You know, so that's, like, I will highly encourage my children to take years off if they choose to go to college and let their brains physically develop yeah. and just go work and find out what you're passionate about. But we, we sh the problem is we shouldn't be asking 18-year-olds any of these questions. They're 18. It's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of pressure early on. It's a lot of, um, you know, retrospective hindsight thinking you have to do. And you're not going to find a whole lot of 18-year-olds that can do that. And then you wonder why the country's in the position that it's in. Well, Dad. we gave the 18-year-old the fucking keys to the bins. And we said, have fun. You know, that's a terrible idea. Yeah. Would, yeah. And um, I, I don't, yes. Uh, <laughs> for some reason, it just popped in my head, you as an 18-year-old on a college campus and then being an elite athlete. And I'm like, how do you balance, was it, is it difficult to balance like party social life with a training regimen or you're able to like get it in on both ends? No, I mean, we, we did both. We knew, um, we knew as athletes, like what we were here to do and what our job was. And, um, going to parties was not on our priority list, but it was on a list that we wanted to do. You know, uh, <laughs> we, we wanted to go hang out with our friends and we wanted to go have a good time. And, um, but it never took priority over training. So it wasn't hard to fit anything in because we knew our practice schedule, you know, we had off on Sunday. So that's when we're like, Hey, we're going out. It's Saturday night. Like that was the only night we had to go out cause we couldn't drink. 24 hours before the next practice, rightfully so. It's very dangerous to do that. Um, uh, so we knew like, hey, Saturday night's the only night that we could go out and legally drink because we're all 21, right, guys? We're all 21. So we were like, hey, it's Saturday night. Where are we going? So we knew Saturday night. We fit it into our schedule. We were very scheduled um, people. And we're like, okay, it's Saturday night. Like, wh what's the move? Like, we're either going to a frat party. We're going to Whiskey 101, which was like this dance hall that we'd go to or athletes have parties all the time and we that's you know we we pretty much we had like seasons of parties like it was like the baseball house party my whole like freshman year and then sophomore year was like this house's party like all the time and then by the time my senior year rolled around we always were going to a dance hall so um it wasn't hard I don't think we we just were very scheduled people so honestly it was very easy for us because we were like Oh, let me check my planner. Nope. I have, you know, I have practice at this time. I have class at this time. I have tutoring at this time. We have community service that day. You know, we knew um, when our social life could be what it was and we lived it up. I mean, it was, it was, it was great. It and was so you didn't see it as like a hindrance to the college experience. 
No, because my biggest thing was like, I don't, I don't want to be normal. Okay. Because being normal is the reason I'm not in debt and I'm not, you know, I have a full ride scholarship, you know what I'm saying? And, um, it being normal, even for the walk-ons, them not being normal is why they get to walk around on campus with that athlete backpack on. And everybody knows what that backpack represents. They're an athlete. And if there's a respect level that comes with it, and that is irreplaceable. There's no amount of parties that could do that. Anybody can go to a party. Not everybody gets to walk around with that backpack and be an athlete. Wow. So no, we were, we're like, I don't want to be normal. (laughs) No, thank you. (laughs) Dude, the social status thing's so interesting that that's so interesting. And as a female, it's hard. (laughs) What do you mean? It's difficult because, um, there's, you know, being a female, just in general, girls are mean. Girls can be pretty catty, pretty mean. And, you know, guys can be dicks, too. I know that. But the problem with girls is, like, I've always been told, and, like, I hate this. It's so cringy. Like, like I'm a I'm a guy's girl. Like, I get along with the guys well because I act like a dude, you know? Like, I'm like, hey, I have a fucking problem. But girls, a lot of girls don't do that. We talk about each other behind each other's backs. And then we act two-faced and, like, so that's where the girl world gets hard is because you're like, I thought you were my friend and you're fucking talking shit. Like sh- friends don't do that. Whereas guys, they're like, I, you know, I'll talk shit right to you and they just beat each other up and move on and it's totally fine. I'm like, why can't we do that? Like, I would love to do that, you know? So that's just being a girl in general is it's just catty and we're two-faced. Then you go be an athlete where the girls that aren't athletes, they're like, oh, she's an athlete, all the guys are going to love her. So they, they're mean to you just because you're an athlete and they know that you're probably going to be whatever seen differently than they are because they're not athletes. So that's its home ordeal. And then you get into sororities against the athletes. And I, by the time my junior and senior year, like I had so many good friends in sororities and like that just like didn't exist for us. But when I got there, there was some like beef with some sororities in the gymnastics team because the older girls in the gymnastics team, I guess, had some beef with these sorority girls. So like there was that drama going on. And then being a female athlete against the male athletes, we had to, you know, deal with stuff, you know, um, and you know, title nine is a thing for a reason. So being a female athlete is very um, interesting to say the least. There's a lot of shit involved in this bowl. I'm super curious about gymnast versus sorority beef. Like, how does that play out? Is it pranking? When it was, when it, no, it's just catty words being spoken. Just like, shit talking. Uh, That's it. Major shit talking, really just nasty to each other, mean girl shit. Uh, like, I mean, I thought this was hilarious, but it is mean. So, you know, there's a sorority, Fine You, if I'm saying it correctly. And one of the gymnasts on the team wasn't me, because I would not do this, I swear. <laughs> But an older girl was at a party. She was talking to a guy and a girl came up and kind of like interrupted or something. I don't remember how it got started, but the sorority girl was, you know, mad at my teammate for talking to this guy or whatever. And she knew she was an athlete and the gymnasts especially were um, like, people really loved the gymnasts. Uh, So it kind of came with its own little like, whatever like the gymnasts were really you know pretty and they were talented and we did flips and we wore leotards we were really we were like I think I feel like us and like track we really empowered that like divine feminine strong female it's that Greek goddess it's Greek yeah. goddess type shit yeah like they really every really female is. wants to feel like that and that's I think how people saw see track athletes they see 
um, gymnasts, they see those hardcore female sports. Everybody kind of sees that because they respect how difficult it is. And so that, her knowing she was a gymnast, you know, they kind of were speak, speaking words. And my teammate was like, oh, you're from Paimu. Is that like a cow? You're from Paimu. It's just like, really? She's like, it's fine. You. She's, and then she started making like cow noises at her. I was like, God damn it. <laughs> this is so bad. Um, so like that, just like that type of shit. Um, and then there's just, you know, tens of other stories, but as I got older, like that just didn't exist. Like we were really cool with the sororities. Like they were super nice to us and we were super nice to them. So I think what we saw was just those personal issues. Um, it was just a lot. So I was like, damn, there's like a whole like sorority against athlete thing going on. And I think it existed in other teams too. But when, as I got older, I was like, I like the sorority girls they are cool. Like they were so nice. And they supported us at meets like they were super fun so it, it it just depends on the person it's it's not it's not fraternity against you know the athletes and sorority against the athlete it's it's what you make it and they just made it shitty when yeah. i came in and i was like i don't really i don't have anything against the sorority girls like i would never be in a sorority but okay like that's not my choice like, maybe if you weren't life. an athlete you would be right like so no. i didn't have a real college experience you don't think you would have done it to do the whole i want to be a part of something how would it's you have found your tribe because it's always been i've always just been an athlete but yeah. i really don't think i ever would have just as a girl because i just don't trust a lot of girls because girls are just mean and so and i've heard so many horror stories in sororities i just don't and it's expensive to be in a sorority so you i'm like no i probably would have just found something else to do <laughs> I didn't know you paid. I wouldn't. Well, here's the God honest truth. I wouldn't have been in college if I was an athlete. Uh, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, wouldn't have even been there. Wouldn't have even been there. <laughs> oh, do you have a pretty good, like, I got this extra privilege or access to something because I was an athlete story? Like, athlete, being an athlete got me out of blank or got me into blank? No. I, I don't personally have one. And honestly, I think that is a, a mis. You know, I'm not going to, so I, I think there's a lot of situations that big name athletes um, might get out of, but I think people think athletes, especially big name athletes can get out of things and they might, it's definitely been a thing in the past, but you'd be surprised that athletes actually have a way shorter stick than huh. regular students. Like a lot of professors have things against athletes because they think we think we have privilege over them they think because we're athletes we walk into the class and expect an A because we're athletes and blah 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 and that's that couldn't be farther from the truth so we had some bias against us as athletes from professors and then there were some professors that weren't like that at all so again it just depends on you as people but um I mean this was what I always knew being an athlete and because probably because my parents told me it a kajillion times was <laughs> you know you make a decision, uh, a temporary decision, and you're going to have a permanent consequence probably. So you need to understand if you choose to drink and drive, here's probably what your consequence is going to be. And then I knew when I got into athletics and college, I was like, because I saw it with my friends who, when they drink and drive and got arrested, their mugshot was fucking everywhere because mm. they're on the football team. Jimmy, in my class, nobody no, nobody knows shit about him. He's not on the football team. So his mugshot is sent to his parents, right. and that's about it. My friends, who's on the football team, it's on Twitter, it's on Instagram, it's on sports broadcast, it's everywhere. So as I don't agree with both of those choices, 
it sucks that the athletes is a little bit worse his consequence than Jimmy's because he's an athlete. But with being an athlete, that privilege, you know, comes greater consequences, good or bad. When we're really great at something, we have really great consequences. When we do something bad, we have really bad consequences. So we have to understand as athletes like that, you need to expect that you're in the light because you want to be, if you didn't want to be in the light, you wouldn't be an athlete, but you need to understand what comes with being in the light. If you don't like that, stop being an athlete. Those are really your only choices. So you can't have your cake and eat it too. You don't get to be the star of the football team and have everybody follow you. And then when you choose to go drink and drive, you want that shit hidden. Mm -mm, that doesn't exist, but it does suck that we get blasted everywhere and they don't. So that's what I mean by athletes normally have a shorter stick. Then why want the book bag in your case? Just so that you can be like, bitch, you want to be like me? Bitch, you wish you were <laughs> this good? Are you talking about the backpack? Well, no, just well, I'm using the backpack as like the social indicator of I'm the athlete. So if it doesn't get you any extra privilege and it gets you all this extra work, all this extra scrutiny, it gets all your time managed, like why? Like, why wear the backpack? No, just why be the athlete? Because you fucking love it. Because everything <laughs> comes with something. Everything everything has a pro and con. And the pros at being an athlete are way more than the cons. If my con is that my teacher might be a dickhead to me at first, or if I choose to drink and drive, okay, I fucking drink and drive. Like, that's a terrible decision. So if I make those choices... I've got to be able to suffer the consequences. And, and if I just have to deal with a dick-ass teacher who I can go up and be like, hey, I'm brave. Like, I, I, I work on that personal connection where they get to know me and realize that their bias against me was wrong. Then, okay, I'll fucking do it. All my professors loved me. Like, I was a great student. I, you know, I always interacted in the class. I did the homework way before on time. Like, I would get it done weeks, months in advance. Like, that was on me to do. So if that's what I had to deal with, you're going to deal with bullshit your whole life work you know learn how to manage it but if that's what i had to manage to go be a gymnast hell yeah i'll go do it yeah and what was the best perk of being a gymnast in college oh god i don't know for me personally the best perk was i think i i don't i don't know it was all so good that's i've never really <laughs> been asked that question so it's hard to answer but I think specifically at Arkansas was the gymnasts were really adored. And I loved that. I loved, we had the highest attendance for female sports, I believe. So really, um, we were really popular amongst the fans. Um, it was, it's a cool sport. And then as time went on, we became a very popular female college sport to be watched. You know, we started doing the Friday night heights. We're being publicized more. So that was a huge perk of being a gymnast. Um, but specifically at the university, we were just always athletes adored um, by the fans. And that had everything to do with the gymnasts before me and the alumni before me making, paving such a beautiful road for us because they were so successful so quickly. Um, so I think that was my favorite part. Did Were you aware, because I'm not aware, uh, again, ignorance on my part of like, What's the powerhouse? What are the powerhouse like gymnastic programs? I can think of basketball. I can think of football. I have no idea for gymnastics. So like, were gymnastics, you aware? It, yeah, I was aware. And it's, it's changed um, since I had committed to when I got into college. And then when I was in college, it, everything has its cycle. So um, when I was young, the best gymnastics schools in the country were Georgia and Alabama. 
as I got older, it started to develop the, uh, developing into Utah was pretty good. Utah. UCLA. Yeah, because there was a time only Georgia, Alabama, Utah, and UCLA, I believe, were the only four gymnastics teams that had ever won a national championship. So, But then as gymnastics has gotten bigger, it's been publicized more. Now talent's starting to spread out. And OU has won a few national championships. LSU's been really close. I really think... 10 years down the future, Arkansas is going to be one of those teams. You know, I'm really crossing my fingers for that one. But like <laughs> UCLA, it's still really good. And Georgia has gotten not very good. <laughs> so in Alabama, they stayed good, but not as good as they were. Florida's gotten real fucking good. You know, it's, so it, it has its cycles. So for now, the, the gymnastics schools right now are Florida, LSU, Alabama, OU, UCLA, Utah, Arkansas is kind of becoming one of those schools. Kentucky is kind of kind of becoming one of those schools. Uh, so it's just, it fluctuates and that's what makes it interesting. Utah sounds so weird for me to be a good gymnast school. Like the, the, so they have the, you go down the rabbit hole of Utah gymnastics. They have the highest female attendance in college sports ever. Any female college sport, Utah gymnastics has the highest attendance um, in all of college and I was recruited by them. I didn't want to go there for numerous reasons, but um, that was one of the selling points. So like, you don't want to be in an arena with 50,000 people. I was like, I don't even know what that feels like. So I can't even answer that question, but so many people at these gymnastics meets and it, I mean, it's like, I saw a chart of like the top 10 uh, most attended female college sports like averaged out like what those top 10 sports in schools were and like four out of the 10 were gymnastics and no utah was number one. Mm-hmm. people are falling in love with the sport i'm so thankful for it but yeah but why yeah. in utah like what oh, like no. i don't know I just, maybe football just wasn't good and they just really went to the gymnastics i have no idea where it came from with utah like is it the elevation well, like i Craig, the the previous head coach, he's just a great coach, so he created great athletes, and he won national championships, so that's how Utah got the recruits that they do, and they've always been able to maintain that high uh, status, so, and then, you know, over time, it's it's spread out with other teams, but yeah, I mean, it's very random, but like, same with Alabama or Georgia, like, why? I don't know. It's just how it started. <laughs> yeah, but I feel, I don't know. It, it, what the fuck do I know? But I'm like, Alabama, okay, I've heard of your football team. So it makes sense that, like, sure. money yeah. from the football team trickles in, which would then help with facilities, yeah. weight rooms, yeah. whatever, right? Georgia, same thing. Kentucky, you got basketball, same thing. Yeah. UCLA, like, everything else I can attach and, like, logistically, yeah. like, yeah, Utah, I can definitely it. see it from that point. I've never really thought of that, but it is very random. Utah just pops as like, okay, you guys had Keith Van Horn and Andre Miller, and I think you had maybe Alex Smith as a quarterback. Good I'm like, yeah, couldn't even tell you. Yeah, I'm like, I, I don't know why you would be on the map to be that, but it makes sense though if you had like that coach with everything you've been saying about gymnastics and how you need to be like nurtured, you get yeah. that person there that can build a program, and it's a smaller community the top of that community is going to go to the elite, the better of the coach. Yeah. Like you can yeah. see that happening. What yeah. was the crowd like for you? Cause that's like, that's something I don't know. Does crowd matter? Cause it seems like there's oh, a bunch of shit going so on all the time. It matters. it matters so much. So we always had um, a few, you know, a couple thousand and that was just on small meets. Like there were times we had like 8,000 and, 
it's in a smaller arena for us and it was just packed whenever you had that amount of people. I mean, 8,000 people is still a lot. And I don't even know if it was 8,000, maybe like 5,000, 6,000. I can't remember what our record was before it was just broken. But um, I mean, we're growing so much that we're might transition into Bud Walton, which is the basketball arena now. Cause right now we're sharing with the volleyball arena, but just in my time, I mean, there was a time where almost every seat was, it looked like it was filled for the most part, but it was very full and it was the most, it was just so fun because the way our stadium was, it was kind of, it felt like it was in a bowl. So we were here and the crowd was up, you know, around us. So um, to know that we were just, we, they were there for us and they're loud and they're interactive. And it's, you just really, it really makes you feel like a football player. Like football players are just adored, you know, like the fans just go nuts. And so it's nice to feel that respect. Like, it's like, they're here for the gymnastics. They're not here because I'm on the football team. Like they really want to see us do gymnastics. So I, you felt that um, connection and it was, it was so fun. Um, every home meet, I always made it a point, especially my senior year, because I knew my time was dwind uh, dwindling on the team and I was going to retire and be done. I would just, a moment, and I would just look around and be like, okay, soaking it in. Like, I'm never going to have this again, you know? And it was just, like, so fun to see all those people there for your team. Um and it totally helped with, you know, performance because for me, it was just like, you know, I was not doing it for myself. I really wasn't later on in my college years when I became the best gymnast, in my opinion, I ever was. Um, I never, I really wasn't doing gymnastics for me. It really was for my team. It was for the school. And that was what made me a better gymnast. So competing, knowing I was doing this for my team was what made me better. And so the crowd helped with reminding me of kind of who I was doing it for and then giving you that energy. And there was a time we went to the University of Maryland and people did not come watch the gymnastics team. They did not support their gymnastics team like us. And there was like 69 people there. And I was like, <laughs> our morale, our morale just was like, Meh. like we were like, oh my God, I don't even want to do this. Like there's no one here. <laughs> what are we doing? Like what is going on? Who's watching? So, like, crowd 100% matters. Did it affect your, like, celebration energy from, like, your peers? Or do you guys just stay hyped when somebody nails something regardless? Oh, we're hyped regardless. Yeah. Because we know every score matters. So, we're hyped regardless. But that noise, when you're the one finishing your routine and you salute and your yeah. team is freaking out and then the fans are freaking out, it's just like, ah, it's like gladiator. You're just like yeah. fucking amped. Like, it's so exciting. Dude, that's awesome that it like added to your experience. It didn't paralyze yeah. you or make you fearful of the moment. Like you were just, you craved it. Yeah. That's I different. You're different, man. How many athletes are like you? So out of hundred percent athletes, <laughs> how many athletes do you think in your professional opinion, um, want that moment versus fear the crowd? At that level, I would say more of us than none because we clearly are at that level because we like, we can handle that pressure yeah, um, or we like the attention, whichever one it is, you know, right. um, I would say more than you think. Yeah. I wonder if like that, yeah, talent matters, work ethic matters, all that. But like the more I get to sports and just coaching kids middle school, I don't know if you know this or if you've noticed this. 
But like, that's part of my theory is I see a lot of kids that have a lot of talent that are so fearful, fearful of the judgment of like failure that it makes them, it limits their ability to play hard and take risks. No. Yeah. I totally agree with that. It's just being able to handle the pressure because I felt that pressure in college. (laughs) I was like, if I fucking mess up, I'm going to be so embarrassed. You know, that was in my head of like, they're not falling this fucking bar with me. It's going to be so embarrassing. The crowd's going to go, ah, and I'm going to be that girl that fell, you know? So that was where that pressure came for me. It's like, I don't want to be the bitch that falls. Like, I don't want to fall. That's a lot of pressure, and it made me really nervous, but I made sure in practice that I taught myself how to handle that pressure. So I would say not being able to handle pressure as athletes really determines how far you go in pretty much every sport, but especially gymnastics where – Pressure is all it's about. You got one vault, you know, growing up, you get two vaults technically, but in college, it's one vault. You get one bar routine, you get one beam routine, you get one floor routine, and that's it. Like, you better be able to handle pressure. This is not sport for you. So what was, like, did you have a mantra? What was your, like, like it's, how did you get your mind right going up? Or did you not need to get your I mind right? You most- just... I was the most routine person you will ever meet, probably. I mainly because I was very superstitious, but <laughs> I I was on autopilot by the time I was in a meet. I put my grips on the exact same way. I took the same amount of steps getting to the chair. I put my clothes in the exact same spot. I did everything the same way every day. And my I cla- I conditioned classically conditioned myself to know when I chalk up this way. And I get on uh, bars and I'm on that mat and I say my visualization and I say my cues and I do that. This is what happens. And every time that's where I gained a lot of consistency was I did the same, like down to the thread. I did the same thing every day, every turn, every minute, every hour, every practice. So when I got to the meet, it was just another day of that. And that was it. I just, I did the same thing over and over. So by the time I strapped up my knee brace, tightened it the same way I tightened it, I put the sticky on my feet, I turned and I looked at the vault and I visualized what I visualized. It was just so robotic by that time. I really was put on autopilot and that's what built my consistency. And so by the time I got to college, I kind of was a robot athletically, but (laughs) because I trained myself to be a robot, I was like, you know, one plus one equals two. That's all I need to do. I need to do this and I need to do this and this will happen. And I just, that's how I train myself. Dude, that's such a great point. I wonder if some athletes get overwhelmed by the pressure because they're focused on the pressure or if they're focused on, no, every, like if our coach calls a timeout in the away gym, I always sit on the fourth seat. So I got to get to the fourth seat. I'm not thinking about what the crowd's saying. I don't give a fuck about the crowd. You know what I give a fuck about? Fourth seat, I take three sips of water, I mm-hmm. rub my face with a towel and I breathe two breaths and now I listen to coach. And like, if you focus that way, it's nothing to do with all the environments, everything to do with you and you controlling your moment. Really just staying in your own little world. Yeah, man. Like, dude, that was a really good breakdown. Thank you. That you gave. <laughs> no, like I, that really was. Do you emphasize that with the kids you coach or have you picked up other routines to help younger kids deal with pressure? Yeah. I, and I tell them, you know, you need, it's all about trial and error. So try this. If it doesn't work, let's try something else. And, mm. um, 
once we figure out what works, we do it that way every time. But you need to be disciplined. You need to be disciplined in recognizing what you're doing, when you're doing it, what you're saying when it works. Yeah. You also need to be cognizant of that when it doesn't work. Because if you're not recognizing what's going on around you when it's wrong, you're going to keep doing the wrong thing because you're not thinking about what you're doing. You're just doing it. We got to literally think about every little detail. When you're on the beam, I need you to think about where your toes are when they're touching your heel. You need to think, are my toes touching my heel or are they not? Because that half inch might be everything because the, in, the beam's this big, it's four inches. You don't have a lot of leeway. Yeah. So I need you to pay attention to that. And then on top of that, I need you to pay attention to where your ribs are, your tailbone is. Is it tucked under? Are you pulled up? Where's your chin? Where's your head? Where are your eyes? There's so much to be thinking about. And that's why gymnastics, again, is one of the hardest sports and why we train so much. Um, you know, I was competing stuff in college that I learned when I was 10 years old. But you look at it when I was in college, it did not look like that when I was 10 years old. But I built it up to be that. And so that's what it is about with my kids is I know my words aren't going to click with this athlete the way it does athlete. And that's this athlete. That's why you have multiple coaches because we can all be saying the same thing in different ways. And it clicks with this athlete and not this one. So I try to teach them how to be consistent. And that's a lot of their issues is they're like, I just don't know how to be consistent on beam or not fall. I'm like, girl, girl, honey, me neither sometimes because I wasn't the greatest at beam, but I know how to be consistent and to make a routine. So let me try to help you with that. And I teach them that. And that's all I can do. Um, I, my biggest analogy with the girls is, you know, I can lead the horse to water, but I can't make it drink. I will do everything for you. I will saddle you up. I will take you through the woods. I will protect you. But when we get to the water, if you choose not to drink, don't fucking look at me and say, I'm thirsty. Then put your head down and drink. I don't what are we what are we talking about like that's what I, i'm doing for you i am giving you all the tools you need whether you pick up the tools and build what you want to build that's on you so we have those conversations a whole lot but i'm always like girls okay what are you thinking about what are you saying what are you visualizing are you doing that the same way over and over okay well then don't expect that outcome so yes i'm very i try to do everything that i did as an athlete i give it to them in multiple different ways and hope something works, but we're always adjusting because we're always going to be different. My girls are growing. When you grow, that has a huge factor in your gymnastics because it messes up something. So it's always an adjustment. So yeah, it's, it's always. <laughs> does, does the routine make it too monotonous? Cause you seem very energetic and I guess I'm taken back by that, that you have all this passion, but I would think, if you were that routine focused, it would be very boring, but you do not seem to be bored at all. <laughs> no, because their perfection doesn't exist in general. And when you're always striving to achieve something that doesn't exist, it's fun. It's exciting because you're like, I always have something to make better. I always have something to work on. Um, and it's exciting for me because I love to see I'm my, my love language is like actions and I love to see my hard work and what I'm passionate about. I love to see it pay off. So when I'm giving the girl something and it works, I'm like, yes, yeah. it's working. And it makes me happy because I know I'm not failing them. Number one, because when I'm doing something with them and it's not working and I'm, I'm trying to figure it out. I'm like, God damn, like I am doing something wrong. I need to figure something out for them. This is my job. Like they don't know any better. Like this is on me. When I go through that whole, like, I've done everything I know I'm supposed to do and it's just not working, 
and I try it out on a different kid and it works, now I know it's just that kid. And then we can have a conversation about that. But uh, it's it's very fun for me to see us us work with the girls because we're both, you know, like, what can we do? What can we figure out? It's just this little, you know, puzzle that we're trying to figure out. And then when it finally works, it's like, ha, it's just satisfying. Uh, and they feel it too. They get really excited. So yeah. it's it's never boring. And you're working with kids. Kids are not uh, boring. Well, they can go on your toes. So. Dude, no fucking doubt. No, I was talking about you as, or I was thinking about you as a competitor. Like you're so passionate about it, but you're so routine. So that's why I'm like, the monotony but, doesn't seem to have joy, sucked any of the no, joy out for you. What was really fun for me was being good. I love to be good, <laughs> you know? And if this is what works, I'll do it every fucking day, you know? Like, it wasn't boring for me because for me, it was this, this, you know, puzzle that I had to do on my own. And I was like, I got to make sure I do this every day. I've got to make sure I do this correct every day. It wasn't easy. I, you know, so it was still always challenging every day, but I was like, no, like, this is what I need to do. Like, don't tell me like my coach on bars, he never would talk to me about gymnastics. Like he'd go up and, you know, give us a pep talk and he normally like would correct my teammates or whatever. For me, he would say like a random food because he <laughs> knew I needed to just put my brain in a jar and let my body do what it knows to do. Um, so he knew I was always on the same routine. Yeah. And for me, it was not boring. Cause I was like, I mean, if I'm trying to get to the number two and I know one plus one is two, I'm sticking with that path. Cause I know it's going to work every time and it working every time is good for me. Like it's good for the scores. It's good for the team. It's working. I'm not changing shit, <laughs> you know, and it never got boring for me. That's dude, that's the simplest way. Like that's the hardest balance that I find in dealing with people who coach youth sports and myself kind of coaching youth sports is like, yes, you want to win because sports really aren't a lot of fun when you lose all the time. Right. But, that's all sports to be competitive. But you kind of have to figure out a way to make the process of winning fun you can't be like what you were talking about like negative you can't they're kids so they want to play games and they want to fuck around and they want to laugh and they want to have energy and you kind of have to channel it but yeah. at the same time you're there's this worry of like if i give all this freedom and looseness will yeah. it lead to losses and then no one's gonna have fun and everyone's gonna be miserable like it's right. a very yeah. weird balance in youth sports it is, it is. And that was something that my kids learned when I took over the program that I'm at now, because it was not a very competitive program when I took over. And I was like, you know, if we're trying to be competitive gymnasts. Like I know how to do that. So like, we're going to make some changes and everything again, everything has pros and cons. Everything comes at a cost. I'm like, okay, so if you guys really want to do Zumba for practice, instead of doing actual gymnastics, you're going to lose at every meet. Is that what you want? No, I want to win. Okay. Well, in order to win, this is probably what you need to do. Are you willing to do that? No. Okay, then you're not really willing to win. And we're done with this conversation. You every you cannot have your cake and eat it too. It just doesn't exist. So if we want to be good athletes, we've got to do the hard things. Now, we can do hard things fun. And we can figure out how to make those fun. And, um, you know, me and my coaches are always trying to do that. And we always make sure we keep it out of balance because we don't want the girls to try to start taking advantage of them. Like, Oh, I want to keep playing this game or keep doing it like this. I'm like, girls, if we do this every day, it's not going to be good down yeah. the road. This once every couple of practice, every couple of weeks is good because everything needs an, a web and a flow. Everything needs balance. So um, that's where we as coaches try to do our best with 
making it fun, but productive. So we have competitions all the time amongst the girls and making sure that it's fun for them, but it's still beneficial. Uh, so that's definitely our hard balance because we don't want it to get repetitive and we don't want the girls to be miserable all the time because there are going to be times where we're miserable as athletes where we're like, God, it's just a really hard day today. Like I'm tired. School was hard. This practice sucks. You know, whatever. We're going to have those days. Um, and we have to be able to have those days or we're not going to appreciate the good days. And then whenever <laughs> the good days happen, we're not going to get better on the good days. So um, we just have to understand that there's going to be things that we have to do and we might not like it, but we're going to like the result. And I've always, you know, I've never like said it to the girls, but I've said it to the coaches and I've worded it better with the girls. But blatantly what it is, is I'm like, girls, we don't have to suck to have fun and we don't have to be miserable to be winners. We can do both. We can have fun and be winners, but there's a balance and a cost for both. So that's what we try to do our best. And I think we do a pretty good job. Of that, you need to throw that shit on a t-shirt. Like, like the, the fucking the don't have to be miserable and lose. Yeah. Don't have to, or no, don't have to have fun and be losers. To, don't have to be have miserable to and winners. We don't have to have fun and suck at the same time. Yeah, like, dude, that actually, that that's, I might throw that shit on our season's t-shirts. Like oh, two goals. Oh, it. <laughs> it's, it's yeah, it, I don't know, man. I like it. And I'm, it's, not to talk shit on the program before you, but I'm curious because I'm kind of like self-reflecting selfishly on my own practices what did you target about changing i know you had said hey we're not doing zumba so let's focus on blank so it was like it seemed like there was a emphasis on like connection to the results but i'm curious how you tried to calculate that it was it wasn't it wasn't personal at all and it wasn't a bad takeover it was that coach was stepping away and they needed another coach to step in. And luckily my parents own the facility that I coach at. So uh, okay. um, when I first stepped in, I wasn't the original head coach. It was the coach that was there before me. Um, and that was with that coach that stepped down. And so she just kind of became intermittent head coach and she didn't really want to be head coach. And she told me that multiple times. And so after a year, I, I was very cognizant too of the fact that I was coming in with the resume that I had and I was the owner's kid. So I already knew that was going to come with this. You know, I, I knew that. And I wanted to be respectful of that. And I was. I came in. I did not, you know, take her job immediately and say, I'm the head coach. I know more than you. I'm a better coach. I didn't do that. I gave her the year. And I was her assistant coach. And I, you know, helped her the best that she would let me to, you know, help with the program. And we worked together fine. And um, I tried to just help her as much as I could. Cause I, I did know a lot more than her and she was receptive to a bunch of things. But once that year happened, she was like, I don't want to be head coach. And I was like, great. Cause I do. And I became head coach. And then, you know, that's when everything really started to change. So I really only had the program under my, I want to say control. That sounds psychotic, but I've been in charge of the program for really only, uh, just now past four years. So uh, when I came in, there was everything to change. I'm like, it was just kind of like the YMCA basketball versus a selecting basketball. That's, okay. you know, just to kind of put it for you to understand. So I came in and it was the YMCA. They were doing Zumba classes when they were on beam. I'm like, okay, what balance beam skills are we learning? They're like, oh, they're not really doing much. I'm like, oh my God, like that, what? So when I came in, I'm like, we're not doing Zumba for beam anymore. Um, you know, things like that. And it was like, we're going to actually practice. They never conditioned. I was like, 
uh, gymnastics is pretty conditioning. That's literally all gymnastics is because it is a very strength-based sport. So they did a lot of conditioning that they weren't used to. That was one of the places I majorly start because I was also a personal trainer at the time. And I thought I was going to go into the strength and conditioning world, but I just fell in love with being a coach. And that's what I decided to do full time. And so conditioning was one of the major things I changed. And then we just practice. We practice like gymnasts are supposed to practice. We did drills, we did skills. And then the girls saw that they were getting good. And the parents saw that they were getting good. They're like, oh, we might actually like this, you know? And it was, it all came with the balance and I'm way better now than I was when I was 22. But I know when I'm 30, I'll be saying the same thing from when I was 26 or on. But um, they started to really understand what I was doing. And I was always very good at that communication with my parents from the very beginning because I knew my past. I knew what I came from and I knew what I didn't want to be. So I always made it a point to have a good relationship with my parents and very open communication and stuff. So uh, that's that's where I started. And it's just developed into that. And now I have two great assistant coaches. Um, one of them was a volunteer. Like she got, she helped work with the OU gymnastics team and the other one is McKenna Kelly, who's a very standout gymnast of her own. She went to LSU, one of the head of LSU gymnasts, and her mom is Mary Loretta. So I've got I've got great coaches that help me, and we've all I've I, we've only gotten better since having them. So that's where I started. Yeah, like it's God. I'm such a fanboy. As soon as you say like Mary Loretta, you're like whoa. Like, right. that, that, it's like, like dude, you have whatever you're charging should immediately go up twenty percent. Like just based on a name like that, it's like, yeah. And, and, and then that's something with McKenna and that's cause that's her name. And I, she, you know, she, she has her own foundation and her own business with gymnastics and stuff. And, you know, she uses that, you know, I'm Marilyn Retton's daughter, but McKenna is who she is because yeah. of what McKenna has done. And she was, she's a phenomenal person and gymnast and such a hard worker. And she doesn't have the name she has because her mom, she has the name she has because McKenna earned it and she yeah. worked for it. Yeah. Yes, I, I didn't mean to besmirch No, her. you're fine. I just want to make that decision for her because I know she, I mean, it was just like me being the owner's kids. Like, right. you just have this title because your parents. No, bitch, I have this title because my resume is two pages yeah. longer than yours. That's exactly. why I have this title. Like, same thing with McKenna. Yeah, can, were you able or how much of a challenge was it to like downscale from your elite level? And I imagine you had to go to like basics at some point with these kids or was oh, it like oh, easy kids. for, yeah, no, to the kids. Yes. Like, I, I feel like you would go in at like a hundred and be like, holy shit, I need to be at a it five. Was a huge, yeah. It was a huge transition. Um, just realizing that these kids didn't know how to do all the stuff that I was so used to doing and all my teammates were so used to doing because they hadn't learned it yet. So I was like, I really have to break down one of the most basic skills I know and like to me like this skill is basic but to them it's not at all so I have I've had to learn how to break up parts of the basic skill to make it even more basic right and is that does that drive you nuts or do you embrace that challenge it's, it's tedious um and it's very boring at times for sure but I know what the payoff is and it's not going to be boring. So then that's what I tell the girls. Like I do privates with two of these girls who they're both going for the same level. And so we're working the same skills and I have a thing um, 
where they have to do a hundred of the repetition of this drill before I get to let them even work on the actual skill we're trying to achieve. So me and them in their privates, we're just like 55, you know, like we're just getting bored, but I'm like, I know you're bored. I'm bored too. It's not always going to be boring, but you're going to be really upset with me if we just chunk this skill and it's terrible and it's not safe and it doesn't progress you because this skill you're learning in level five, you're going to use in level 10 in six years. And it's going to matter how you learned it in level five, just like, you know, teaching kids, like it's probably best you teach them phonics and how to read and not just how to memorize a word because they don't really know how to read. Then they know how to memorize a word here. You're teaching them how to read, how to read any language, for the most part, because you can teach them phonics and you can teach them this letter with this letter makes this, this changes this rule, blah, blah, blah. It's the same thing in gymnastics. Like we have a hundred repetitions of this because when I put it together with this, it's going to be great. It's going to be easy and it's going to be good. So yeah, that part can get boring, but um, I know it's not always going to be boring. And that's, I, I always make sure to recognize that with the girls. Like, hey, you're bored? Me too. Your feelings very valid, but it's not going to last. Like, I promise. Like, I'm bored too. <laughs> so uh, it just, it just depends on the skill and depends on to the athlete. Some athletes, they get those skills like that. Other athletes, they don't. And those are the ones that it's like, this is where I, I, I get challenged because I was that athlete that got yeah. like that. So for me, I'm like, what do you mean you don't understand it after 500? Yeah. Like, what do you mean? Like, okay, I get it. Like, we just need to keep breaking it down and it'll click one day. But I'm like, oh, I'm waiting for it to click. I just want it to click. So, and that's out of my control. I think that's the hardest part for me being a coach is knowing things are out of my control for the most part. That's never been the case. I've always been the gymnast in control. So for me, I have to let them be in control. I just give them the tools that they need in my education and what they choose to do with it is what they do. Dude, you're so, like, really are self-reflect. Did you just spend a shit ton of time listening to, like, self-help books or leadership books? How does this philosophy, like, how did you get there? Um, a lot of failure. I think I just, you know, failing on my own, failing, seeing my coaches fail with me. And I just, I just, I don't know. I'm a, I don't know. I don't just know. Just a thinker. You just noticed all this shit, man. I mean, it's cool. I listen to a lot of Joe Rogan, but that's not really self-reflecting. It's just like more, he gives me a lot of insight on a lot of things for sure. Just the numerous people he brings on. But I just, um, I don't know. I just am a very, I've always been told that I was really different and like really disciplined and really whatever. And I just always thought like it was one or two people telling me and you know, then social media kind of happens and I'm, I'm being told it a lot. And I don't think I've ever really realized that I'm what I'm capable of. And I don't know. I just think being self-reflecting, it just came with a lot of failures and I never want to be the person that's wrong. If I'm being honest, like I, I don't want to be the person that's being harmful. I, my, my biggest saying that, and I, maybe this is why I am the way I am was you're either a part of the solution or you're a part of the problem. And I'm never going to be a part of the problem. And if I am a part of the problem, I need someone to tell me and I will fix it so I can be a part of the solution. And I don't know where I got that. I think I just have a lot more um, callous built up inside of me from my childhood with coaches that I realize that I'm so afraid of being like them. And I'm so afraid of aiding to the sport in a negative way. And I just, I just really want to be a good person, honestly. So I think that's where it comes from is I just, I'm like, 
this doesn't make me a better person and this is not good and this isn't beneficial for my athletes and I yeah I think that's really and I hate talking about myself I really do it, it, I just I feel dumb and icky and I feel arrogant but I don't know I just try my best I just really try to be genuine and try to be a good person and try to do what's right you seem to just care it, like I wonder if it's just like you give a fuck <laughs> Like, could it be yeah. as simple as you're the person that gives a fuck and like people who give a fuck think about it and then they try yeah. and if it doesn't work, it bothers them. So they kind of dwell on yeah. it and they want to be like, no, 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 we can't. And then it snowballs into plans and philosophies and morals. And it's like, now yeah. I have a worldview of gymnastics and this is what I want. And it's constantly being challenged because then if it's not successful, you give a fuck and you're like, wait, why wasn't that successful? And then you... Right. reevaluate. I wonder if it's like, can be as simple as some people just care and other people mm -hmm. can be indifferent. Yeah. And I, yeah. And I think truly caring is what people miss is when you truly care about something, you are willing to be criticized and constructive criticism because you want to do what is best. But just because you're being constructively criticized as well does not mean that you are wrong because there's going to be people that constructively criticize you and they're wrong and you have to know when you're right and when you're wrong and i've had you know some conflicts with parents before that want to say something of how something should be handled and i'm like i understand why you feel that way but it can't be handled that way and i'm gonna let you know why and i have to stand my ground and that's i have to know who i am and why I'm doing what so, I'm doing so I can constantly stand firm because if I don't think I should move, I'm not going to move. But if I move, it's because I think it's, I think it's right. And not to say that what I think is right and what it's all, you know, it's all being, but I'm a very like I can, I can take what you're saying and I will analyze it to the T. But if I'm doing that and I don't move, I need you to realize you might be wrong. Actually, did, you're over here criticizing me. I think it's time for me to criticize you now. So, um, <laughs> Like those are just <laughs> now that you're done with your criticism, I'm gonna criticize you for a little bit, okay? So buckle up. But going back to it, it's just when you truly care, you have to be able to do that. But truly caring also doesn't mean you let people walk all over you, and that's yeah. why it's so important to know who you are and to make sure you know what you're talking about. Uh, but yeah, I guess for me, I just really truly care. But and it's because I really truly care that I've been able to take a step back and listen to what's going on around me. And I will kind of analyze from every point of view, like, okay, I understand that, but I also understand that. What's the best one at the end of the day? Like, well, this is going to result into this, and this is going to result into this. Like, I think I'm going to go this route. And if they have a problem with it, I'm going to explain why I'm on this route, because I was just standing right here on the outside looking in. And so that's kind of how I just try to analyze everything. So that way, when I know when it push comes to shove and I have to stand firm, I'm going to stand firm pretty well. And we might argue about it and have some words, but I assure you, if I'm probably standing here, it's, it's for a good reason. Um, and, I, and until you bring me evidence that makes me go, okay, I'm probably still going to stand here because it's working. Um, so is, is yeah, there... I, I just I don't know. I don't know what it comes from. No, well, now I'm thinking because I suffer a lot from imposter syndrome because I coach middle school basketball, but I never played basketball. So I had to study it really hard and I'm a teacher and I'm pretty good at like teaching. I really think I'm genuinely good at teaching, but I can't be like, yo, I was all state. 
I, a thousand point score. Like I have zero resume when someone comes at me. Yeah, the resume def- definitely helps. So um, I'm thinking of you and then I'm like, well, something early on for me also on top of it was age. And I felt oh, very yeah. disrespectful putting a fucking, when I was 25, telling a 40 year old how much of an idiot they were. Cause I'm like, you respect your elders. You, you, y- I'm yes, not sir. I don't believe in that personally. I don't, no. I don't believe in the <laughs> thing. I was well, wondering. I'm, I'm, and I, I think I have a very fair point of it because I'm like, if the whole respect your elders thing for me, I'm like, I mean, you're literally only older. Like, let's really think about this. You're only older than me because two people decided to have sex before my parents did. Like, that's really what this is about. So I will not just respect you because you're older than me. It's the experience that they've been on the earth. So they've they've had more breaths than you. They've, they've seen and, more and sights. Take, and we can take that into account. That's and into the a point factor, of but elder. There are a lot of experiences that I experienced until 26 years old that a lot of 50 year olds haven't. Yeah. So, you know, it, it, it's, it goes both ways. So yes. I'm not, we respect each other because we're all human beings. I'm not going to respect you because you walked over to me and said, you're going to do what I say because I'm older than you. And that's fine. Cause I had a coach like that. Um, and that's, that made me grow up a little bit because I was like, I got to go handle this person that keeps coming over to me who I'm the head coach and they keep going, well, I'm older than you. So I'm not listening to you. Um, that doesn't matter. I'm more experienced in this sport than you. I have more accolades in this sport than you. I've seen more in this sport than you. You might be older than me, but you're not more educated than me in this topic. And I had to, uh, 10 years younger and it was very intimidating and I was uncomfortable, but I am like, okay, like, this is what I got to do. I can't let this person walk all over me because they're older than me. They don't know what they're talking about and they're hurting the kids. Like this yeah. is not good for the kids. And I have to advocate for the kids. So it, it can definitely be difficult. Um, but again, if you, if you're right, you're right, regardless of age. <laughs> you know, I, I can't wait till my daughter, maybe I'm gonna wait for my daughter's kids and I'm going to go up to their coach. I'm gonna be like, you need to play her at whatever midfield because my parents had sex before your parents. <laughs> Look, my parents had sex before yours, and I'm older, so this is what is going to happen. <laughs> that's such a good breakdown. Um, dude, that's awesome. I've, yeah, the accolades and the experience and the confidence and the achievement, I feel, get a person to that level. But mm-hmm. rightfully so, because that's the whole reason of being a coach is like, you know shit. And right. even we you... Hope. Well, you're supposed to, right? But now there are some coaches that don't know shit. The real coaches can recognize when another one knows. And then they're like, hey, man, you should be the one making the decisions. Let me help you. Let me learn from you. You know, like that's ideally how it should work. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. And having the experience that I have on all levels has definitely helped. And it's helped me with the parents mostly because I'm like, I totally, especially having a kid, I'm like, I see it from your, as a mama. It's hard to see your babies through it. I, I understand. I also know what she feels like. Cause I was that seven year old at one point as a gymnast, but I also know what it takes at that age. Um, and I know what she needs to do as a coach. And I also know what she needs to do as a judge. You know, I'm all of these titles in one. So I really see it from every point of view. And I try to balance that into the perfect ball. Um, so it's, it's, and, and my biggest thing with the parents is I earn their trust through my actions of the things that I say and then how I go about them. And I'm 
the parents see how fair I am to the girls. They've I've never been accused of um, favor. Well, I was accused of favoritism once, and that didn't end well for them because it was shot to shit right after that. Because I had plenty of proof of that. I do not favor my athletes, but the parents that are there watching practices, and these parents weren't there, so they don't know what the fuck they're talking about. Um, the parents that are there, they see how I coach them. They see I'm fair to all of these girls, regardless of talent, regardless of level, regardless of age. I'm fair. And that's how I earn my parents' trust. I didn't walk into this building demanding the parents' trust because of my accolades, because I'm a fucking All-American. I didn't, I didn't do that because that's not right. Yeah. And I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't trust a fucking coach that walked in here and did that. I'd be like, you're a pompous son of a bitch, and I'm not trusting you with my kid. That's what I would do. So I'm like, you know, I probably need to go out this gently and I need to earn their trust. And so the parents have seen through my actions that they can trust me. And that is my whole thing. And do you trust me? I understand it's hard to see this, that she's crying, that she's upset or whatever. But do you trust me? Yes, I trust you. Then let me go through this moment with her. Let me have this. Let me push her. She's going to cry. She's going to be upset. It's okay to cry. We cry for a reason. It's a natural emotion. It's a way to relieve stress. Let her cry. It's not the end of the world. She'll be okay. And I promise you tomorrow, she's still going to want to come back to the gym. And that's happened so many times. And the parents see it. You know, everything, everything has a slow burn to it. Um, and gymnastics is one of that. So that's, that's my whole thing with accolades too, is that I'm like, I can prove that it works because I am the proof of yeah that slow burn <laughs> the fairness thing's interesting because it's not like is there a there's no playing time issue so would you be having favorites by you spending more time with certain gymnasts is that basically yeah, that, the only way to have a favorite a uh, my biggest thing with favoritism that was shown um when i was in college the way my coaches showed favoritism to athletes was like conditioning or punishments so like uh, if i girls if i tell you if you do X, Y, Z is going to happen. <laughs> well, I have the best kid on the team doing X, Y, and they look at me thinking I'm not going to make Z happen. I'm like, go, Z's happening. Yeah. You're doing it. I don't care. Have you... Where my coach, it, it wasn't always the same. It wasn't always that. Have you seen it trended maybe like a week ago, the fuck around and find out guy? I made a, I, yeah, I made a, that is, <laughs> I was so happy to find that video because I've been saying that for like so long, just like me and my husband, like, like that's kind of like his thing is my husband's, you know, very military and he's like, fuck around and find out. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, yeah, fuck around and find out. I love that. I'm so using that for my life. And my coaches, we say that, you know, we, we cuss under our breath all the time. Um, Cause we have to let out steam when we get pissed off. And our biggest thing was we'd be like, Faithful, if we, if we need to just say something, let's fuck around and find out an acronym. And so when I saw that video, I was like, holy shit. And I like showed them or told them about it. And I was like, it's so funny because it's so real. Like, yeah. and, I, and I say that in the most appropriate way to the girls. I'm like, girls, like literally fuck around and find exactly. out. Like, I'm letting you know, we are all on the same playing field. Yeah. If you do this, this is going to happen. And I don't want to see a dang tear fall from your eye because yeah. you made that choice. Yeah. So. I'm a heavy believer in that. Yeah, I, I feel like that's 
it's just this succinct it's meritocracy it's just what i believe in it's like no you're not special it's a fucking straight line and the less right. you fuck around the less you need to be put in your 100%, spot 100%. it's just i, I don't know I, and again me me thinking in retrospectively because i've had this conversation with the girls like we have many come to jesus meetings because you know it's good for all of us and there is a time where the girls just were not um adding up actions to consequences and I'm like, girls, you know, we all make choices at the end of the day. I said, because you know what? I'm going to handle the eight-year-old's choice with eight-year-old consequences because 18-year-old choices have 18-year-old consequences. I was like, and you know what's going to happen? If you keep continuing, you think it's just going to be okay to show up on work, uh, show up to work late? No. If you want to keep doing these actions, this is probably what's going to happen. You're going to go to work late multiple weeks. You're going to get fired. Guess what happens when you get fired? You don't make money. What happens when you don't make money? You can't pay your bills. What happens when you can't pay your bills? You get kicked out of your house. I said, none of you better be knocking on my door that you need a room. Don't do it. And, you know, they're all, like, laughing. But, like, she's making a good point. Like, Fuck my actions follow out. me. Yeah, like, my <laughs> actions are going to follow me. And I'm like, I know it sucks being told that you're wrong and having consequences. But I would much rather have the eight-year-old mad at me who's going to be grounded for a night than that 18-year-old calling me from jail. Yeah, That's what I would rather have. And you might think I'm extreme, but it's not. It's true. Every, you know, most likely every person that winds up in a predicament as an adult is because it was never handled as a child. And so they thought they get to just keep fucking around and it's not going to be handled because it was never handled as a child. Yeah. And now they're like, what do you mean I'm in jail? Like, I'm being arrested. What do you mean? Like, you know, like, no, we should have handled that when they were nine. Yeah. Not, well, yeah, because it's, that's yeah, the point. Eh, that was a good soapbox you just jumped off of. <laughs> but, like, that's the point of a child is children learn. And children are very good at manipulating and adapting to their environments. Well, and people don't give kids enough credit. I think kids have a natural, cur- like, craving to want to be constructed. They want yeah. to be... They want to be molded. And so that's why kids act out when you don't give them attention. They need that attention, whether it's you getting on to them or it's correcting them or it's you playing with them, having fun with them. They want that. So when you don't correct that kid, you're setting up for a volcano to erode. Yeah. And you're, it's like one of those things where you're, the whole, it's not polite to stare. Well, kids stare because they're constantly learning. And it's like, you just want to I guide. I like to stare. Like, I'm just looking. I think it's fine. If it makes me uncomfortable, I'm sorry. But like, that that opens up opportunity for a conversation. You know? Like. <laughs> <laughs> You're hilarious. Who said it's not polite to stare? <laughs> no, I, I, I like your philosophy um, a lot. Bray, I am. Um, is there something we didn't get into? I just looked. It's been like two and a half hours, man. I don't want to suck up your whole night. <laughs> Um, oh, no, you're fine. I'm literally just going to go drink alcohol and watch Yellowstone. So, okay. <laughs> so Southern of you. I'm going to, I'm going to drink alcohol and um, hopefully wake up for a decent jog tomorrow. But is there yeah, went on a jog this morning? So a topic or anything that we didn't get into that you wanted no. to ramble? No, not for me. I feel like I've, I, I, I ADHD and I love to talk. So I will, you ask me one question, I'll probably answer 50 in the long run. So I, you do. I said everything I'd love to say. So. But dude, you You're tie it back it. really well, man. No, I um, the, the energy for like this late at night after a day and like the passion that I took away from you, I'm like, 
yeah, I'd fucking, I'd have my kid around you. Like, I appreciate, <laughs> yeah, I you know appreciate what I'm saying? That, like, that means a lot to me. I'm a, that's an honor to me, you know, when people trust me with their kids because I don't trust a lot of people with my kid. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it really, especially when you start working with kids, I love people who work with kids and appreciate the value of how like sacred that is so, that like, so I'm your, I'm your de facto parent in this moment. Yeah. And that, that's yeah. like people who understand that gravitas, um, are genuinely good people to me. I trust, I tend to trust those people. Um, I don't know why, yeah. but I, I feel like yeah. they're what makes the world a good place. Sure. For sure. And that's we'll end on, we'll end on that corny statement. Brad, <laughs> <laughs> thanks so much, dude, for um, answering my random message and, um, chatting i've really enjoyed your videos i'm just looking forward to seeing you on social media and stuff thank you i really appreciate it really appreciate you reaching out thanks to andre psyche for supporting the getting to know you pod search up andre psyche on social media give him a follow just for the fuck of it dear listeners if you've enjoyed getting to know today's guest or just want to support this upstart podcast go to our patreon for as little as $2 a month, your donation will help with all the costs associated with producing the Getting to Know You pod. Don't forget the three free ways to support the pod. One, subscribe to the Getting to Know You pod. Two, friend and follow the Getting to Know You pod on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Three, go to Apple, write a review. And finally... If you or someone you know would like to become a sponsor of or advertise on the Getting to Know You pod, we would love to partner with you. We have a wide-ranging global audience that would like to get to know more about your brand or business. If you're interested, just message us. See you.